bubble tea. Uh-oh. Are you in now? I don't even know what it is. <laughs> okay. This is These are the types of things before we start episode 150 that drive me absolutely insane. Okay. When something happens, yeah. a phenomena happens. Oh, sure, yeah. And I don't, no one checked with me. No one <laughs> alerted me that there was something new. All of a sudden, everywhere I go, I see bubble tea. I don't know what bubble tea is. Oh, I see. Yeah. I've never tasted bubble tea. <laughs> I don't know what's going on and all that. How do they all exist? You see one place after the other in the same shopping center. You could see five bubble tea places. What is, okay, are you prepared to give me an education on bubble tea before we start episode 150? I did tell you about a year ago that you need to buy one and I'll run it for you and we'll make a killing. I told you a year Apparently ago. So, how, how many of these things can exist, and well, all make they all make a profit? They I, all. Well, I haven't seen well? the books for all of them, but I'm guessing that I, there's always what a is line out what, the what, door. What, what is this? I, I don't what get is this? it. Either. And where did it start? And how did it? It must have started somewhere else, right? And came over here. Yeah, I think on a so. Boat. It came over on a boat. Yes, it did. <laughs> yes. Do you know what it is? My 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 son, the oldest one, Max, has done it. Yeah. He was talking about like waffles or something. Oh no, you were talking about yeah. They, the one that we go to sometimes also sells waffles, and then and then you got to buy the the little Oreo cream to dip the waffle in. I know it's just well, what's going on sugar. with what's going on with bubble tea. Is this an iced tea like I like with a nice Splenda? I like a oh, I, Splenda. I like an Arnold Palmer. I like an Arnold Palmer yeah. with mostly iced tea, three quarters iced tea, oh. one quarter. Just a shot of lemonade. Oh, delightful. And one Splenda. Oh, Splenda. That's what. That's my drink. Is that the bubble? <laughs> would that count as a bubble tea? Uh, no, I don't think it would. No, I, I don't exactly know what it is. I just know my daughter. She orders a drink that's yeah. liquid, and I guess it looks like tea, but then it's got those little. Uh, I forgot what they're called. Like little, pe- look like little pebbles, but they're like rubbery. It's like tapioca kind. I don't know really? what it is. And it goes in the tea. It, that that goes in the bottom. But then you got to get a straw big enough to suck the little pearls up or whatever. Yeah, it's a whole thing. I, he I don't went know. on a line. I once, I once was outside of a place where he decided to go in with his girlfriend to get bubble tea. He said, "Dad, let's go get bubble tea." I was like, "No, I don't even, I don't even belong in one of those places. I'd be, <laughs> I'd be out of, out of sorts." And I looked in, and they were going down some sort of an assembly line. Oh, it's, mean, yeah, it, the machine is. I cool. think of bubble tea as something that Starbucks would serve—a bubble tea. You, you order bubble tea, and they bring you bubble tea. What's the, what's the line? What's the? Is it toppings or things you put in it or what? Well, it, it is kind of a process because then they ask you: Do you want full sugar, half sugar, quarter okay. sugar? Oh, do you want God. full ice? Do you, you can just add anything you want, but then it goes into a machine, and the, the machine seals the cup off, so it looks like you would get it out of the store, right? It's got like it. It's kind of cool. It's oh. so the drink is sealed, and then you jam the straw through the plastic. Yeah, and it's got the little pearls in the, it. How do I these things happen? I and know. I don't know about them. It makes me feel old too and out of am touch. Am I under and, a de- am I out of touch? Am I under a desk? <laughs> yes, I think. Where yeah. did I mean? All of a sudden, there's five million bubble tea places, and I didn't yeah. even know where it started. I have no idea. So, if anybody is listening right now that can share with me the bubble tea experience or the 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 phenomena that is <laughs> yeah. bubble tea and explain it to me i'd like to know i like to know whether i would like is it out al- it's not alcohol right no my daughter's you obsessed with it i told you a year ago about this yeah, bubble I tea remember, i mean you it's told like me, yeah, she went, it's your yeah. favorite thing ever i don't know what it's it just is. out of nowhere but yeah so it's like these little it's called boba yes yeah one of the places in the factoria mall i think it's called but some places yeah yeah called boba it's, yes that's boba it's like that's tapioca boba. and they, you you that, put it in tea yeah but it, you're you're Thinking of it as like iced tea. I don't yeah, know. It's, it's just tea. called tea. I don't know if oh, it's, it's not tea. I don't know exactly. It's more like it's more milky. It's kind of creamy oh. and milky. Oh, 
Yeah, I actually don't think don't it know. tastes Have that ever, good. Oh, you've had it. Well, yeah, I tried my daughter's. It yeah. just looks sugary, and it's just not. I'm it, telling you. Yeah. Three quarters iced tea, a shot of lemonade, <laughs> and one Splenda. Why the Splenda, right. though? That kind of ruins it. Splenda's kind of gross. Fake sugars, ugh. I, because I don't like real sugar anymore. I can't eat. I can't, it's oh, not right, sugary right. enough. Well, Splenda's sweeter than, than real sugar. It is. Pound for pound sweeter, yeah. yes. It feels sweeter. Yeah. No, it is. It feels sweeter. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. I remember many, many years ago, I think I've told you this story. Brett probably, he's what, going to be, he's 15, going to be 16. He was probably seven, six or seven. I was in the house, I was in the kitchen, and I had some iced tea and I had some lemonade. I very rarely, by the way, have an Arnie Palmer here. Okay. An Arnie Palmer is kind of a refreshing treat for me when I leave the house. Gotcha. I don't ever have it here. Okay. Unless, it, unless, but on one certain occasion, I must have had iced tea and lemonade just hanging around oh, in the fridge. what a deal. So I take out a glass and I start doing my, my mix. And little Brett, six years old, comes storming around the corner. Uh-huh. And he's looking at me and he says, Dad, I know what you're doing. <laughs> and he's pointing at me like I'm pointing at you. <laughs> yeah. I know what you're doing. I said, what? He says, you're making a Carson Palmer. <laughs> That's awesome. I forgot about that. <laughs> I thought world. that was the cutest <laughs> yeah. thing. Yeah. And someday I'm going to tell Carson Palmer that story and he's going to get a kick He's going to love it, yes. He's probably not and it's going to ruin the whole thought of it. <laughs> Better not. <laughs> Episode 150. It's an even 150. We're at 150 shows. Nearly three years worth of shows. Hey, is your phone still sending double messages? Do we get to the bottom of that? I didn't. I, I I restarted it. Okay. I don't know whether that was the fixer. I, I have not seen or heard complaints that I'm now sending double. Oh, I sent you texts. Yeah, I, today. I didn't get any. I didn't get any. Uh, you didn't doubles. get any of them. You didn't get the singles. <laughs> you didn't get the first one. I have on my notes. I think I'm Mitch okay. Mitch phone update. I needed to know. I think I think I'm good, but I don't. I think it may have resolved. Is it possible that it resolved itself? Oh sure. Yeah yeah. Okay. Restarting stuff is magical sometimes, oh, and no one knows what. This and bubble tea. I, I just feel like it's time for me to go. We're not. <laughs> We're not built for this society. We're just not. I don't know what happened to I'm, me. I'm good in like 97. Oh, I, I can live 97. It I took mean. me five years of people saying walk off to understand. What, what, hold, hold on a second. When did this happen? Right. It was a game winning home run. Oh, yeah. It became walk off. Yeah, anyway, yeah, yeah. episode one, 150 shows. Subscribe, rate us. We need some five-star ratings. If you don't mind on Apple Podcasts, you can become an unfiltered patron at $5 a month. By the way, football season is approaching, which means not only you get the P shows if you're a patron, you get all the extra shows with the fan. We do a fantasy football weekly show. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We do a Seahawks no table weekly show. Yep. And later on, we'll start doing Mr. Playoffs. Oh, yeah. And we'll do, uh, you know, tail the tape and all that good stuff. Lots of extra programming, $5 a month. Or instead of paying $5 a month and having your car charged five dollars a month you could just pay 55 dollars and get 12 months for the price of 11 yep five dollars a month to become a mitch unfiltered uh, patron to do that go to mitchunfiltered.com. I, I met one of our listeners who is a patron by the way you nice did. fella yeah I, I didn't know if he was 80 85 years old no he's got a daughter that's probably 15 or 14 what or so. what are the chances that this guy knows bubble tea not good <laughs> no, but he does have a young daughter, so maybe he does because of that. But yeah. Okay. Anyway, yeah. I, I was walking away, and it was like, and I just turned around. And I said, "Are you a patron?" He goes, "Of course I am." So there you go. It was nice that we got. I, nice. I got to meet one of our patrons. Well, I like to know when we start doing the football. There's about to be a flurry of patron activity starting in like late August, early September. Will the music things continue, or what's your plan on that? You haven't really. Share this last one, the Lionel Richie seemed to take longer than the normal because oh, you're busy, yeah. or no, or did it not? No, it's that just longer. a figment of my. Am I just 
Okay. No, are I, you planning to continue with that? Yeah. Are you? If are you like wind, them? I are don't you know, winding though. down now? <laughs> Wait, what, what do they call it in baseball? I'm, I'm, they're shutting me down. They're or shutting you down? Yeah, yeah. I'm planning on shutting Short down. Shoulder Tommy John surgery. That's right. Yes, yes, yes. I'm going to. Are shut you? Down. Sh- no, I, I love doing them. So if people like them, still, are you working on a new one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I, so I, get, I sent you a, a cover of a book that I yeah, I literally I paid that. money I, for a book. I didn't even get to do research on the next one. But you, as soon as you said heavy metal, you lost me. I don't think I said heavy metal. You didn't. What would you say? What genre did you say? Uh, well, I thought something said heavy metal on the text. And as soon as I see, by the way, there's certain things that I just tune out. As soon as I see somebody <laughs> say heavy metal, something I'm, <laughs> or video game, you're it, out. It could be my mom. <laughs> yeah. and I would not. I would not even read the rest of the message. Mitch, I was at the Judas Priest heavy metal concert. Uh, my mom. Check out. <laughs> Mom's a, a groupie, a Judas Priest <laughs> Right. Uh, so you're going to continue with the musical. Of course. Yeah. If people like them, I hope. I don't know. If people listening to this last one, I can't tell. Here you go. Here's an email. It speaks to the, the, the discussion that you and I have all the time on this podcast. Okay. Hey, Mitch, had a drink with some buddies. They were talking about an interview you did with Chris Hansen recently on your pod. Oh, yeah. And I was like, Mitch? That's when they alerted me to your podcast. Oh, God. Not just the guy in Hawaii. What's Mitch been doing these days? Oh. Uh, I had absolutely no idea this guy writes. I'm not a Twitterer, he writes. Yeah. I went back and listened to show one, and I was in tears. By the way, I'm gonna re- we're going to repurpose show one here in the next couple of weeks. Uh, and appreciative of your decision to do that show number one, even though I think it was unnecessary. He writes, a lot of people have said that they think show one was unnecessary. I thought it was necessary. This podcast is even better than the radio version. And Scott adds a nice touch. I'm not sure exactly oh what touch he adds, <laughs> but it's good. I, saw it I hope you do 500 more. Brian in Maple Valley. Say hello to Brian in Maple Valley. New to the podcast. Love it. Had no idea. Loved the old radio show. And until somebody was talking about the Chris Hansen interview in a bar over a martini yeah or a bubble tea right uh he had no idea that mitch was doing a pot it can't just be a compliment it's gotta be i don't know what that touch is no it says scott adds a nice yeah. touch i'm not sure exactly what <laughs> okay. touch that well, you is could have just stopped at nice touch <laughs> well yeah but but it's actually i actually didn't take it that way oh, okay. i took it as i'm sensey I, I took it as like it's kind of hard to articulate what you bring to the show. It's not. It's not a clear. That's and that's not a shot. It's like, okay. it's it's like it's not clear what you bring to the show. Okay. Why do you why are you shaking your head? You think that's bad? No, I don't know. It's fine. <laughs> it's fine. I, I guess I don't know what I bring either. You bring so. a, you bring an intangible <laughs> okay. that's hard to define. Okay. That we just can't find anywhere okay, else. Good. We can't go out and find and it. You haven't looked. Guest. <laughs> Uh, we are, this is installment number two of, remember I said we, uh, a few, a few shows ago, we did three of our best nine. So we're coming right. up on a thousand interviews. Yeah. I'll have Brian and Maple Valley know that it <laughs> took a thousand interviews before you caught on that we're doing a podcast, <laughs> right. which is actually just really sad to me. I don't know what, I don't know I don't what know the what answer is. I told you this a couple of shows ago. Yeah. No well, idea. you've been saying this for a while. We don't know what to do. Uh, how do you get the word out? I know. Spend a million dollars on advertising. Right. I don't know. Yeah. If he's uh, not a Twitterer, I, I, yeah, I don't know. I'm going to start a GoFundMe page. <laughs> oh, for, uh, for marketing? For marketing, yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, let's see here. Uh, what was I going to say? Guests, guests, guests. Guess. Oh, yeah. So two, two shows ago, we, we unveiled the first three of our favorite. I don't want to say our favorite nine because there's some other ones as I've been thinking about it that we, we've, we've ignored and not fairly so. Okay. Uh, 
Uh, here comes numbers four, five, and six, and they're not necessarily in order in any order. These are three on this episode 150. Three guests that we've had. I'm assuming that some people have heard them, but a lot of people haven't heard all three. I'm telling you, they're all interesting okay. for different reasons. Guest number one is a, a recent Fred Couples interview where we talked about Augusta National and the Masters and his oh, yeah. relationship with the Masters. Really good. Fred's always great with me. Uh, Gary Portnoy. Do you remember the oh, name? Oh, Love it. I don't even know why we even went after Gary Portnoy, except for the fact that we did during the pandemic that that field of 64, the best TV theme song. Right. And this was actually, I think, before they won or did they win? No, I, I think he won. They won. I, I think Cheers won. Cheers won. So we had to have him on. So then I go find Gary Portnoy, who wrote, directed, produced, and performed yeah, the, yeah. The, the famous cheers theme song little did i know that there, there's always a great story behind these things always of how they get developed how they got thought of and how it came to yep. be and he's great he's i, I don't want to say too much but yeah listen to how the cheers theme song came to be from gary portnoy he, he was a uh, an interview on our show yes he tells a great story uh, that i i, I don't me. i don't want to rip it off i mean i don't want to ruin it but about about who sang backup on that song. Yes. <laughs> I love yes. that story. It's Great genius. Backup. And, and those guys got money too. Yes, they get the, money too every yes, time. Yes, those people did. And by the way, now, ever since I've had Gary Portnoy and he kept on telling me, you know, cha-ching every time the thing airs, now I see Applebee's where everybody knows right. the Applebee's commercial. I, I mean, every time I turn around, that song is reinvented and he gets paid. Good for him. I remember telling him during the interview, I think we owe you some money. <laughs> yeah, and he right. laughed. <laughs> and he laughed. He says, you probably do. Yeah. And then the colorful author, Larry Ratso Sloman. Oh, do you remember him? One of my favorite guests. Loved it. Mike Tyson. Yeah. He, he's, a, he's an author who wrote the, the, uh, the biography. I guess it'd be an autobiography because Tyson participated. He doesn't participate in any of that yeah. stuff. He, he partnered with Larry Ratso Sloman, who's a colorful guy just in his own right had written for the rolling stone and he's written some things about some other rock that you would you would get a kick out of yeah. and he told the story of his relationship with mike tyson which was a really again most of these interviews and the nine that we've chosen have for whatever reason not not that i didn't think they'd be good they just kind of fell out of the sky like oh let's have this guy on not right. knowing that he's going to be like the most colorful guy ever so yeah. that's what happened with Larry Ratso Sloan. And he was a semi-regular on Howard Stern's show, too. See, I didn't know that. You told me that when we had him on. I'm pretty sure, that. yeah. He was like yeah. a, a semi-character. Right. Yeah. It sounds right. I yeah. mean, he sounds like he should be on Howard <laughs> That's Stern. right. He's, he has opinions. So there you go. There's the three guests. We are repurposing uh, nine of our first 1,000 interviews as we're at episode 150. This also gives us a chance to regroup Steve, Scott, myself, um, and get ready for football season, get ready of a new new yep. allotment of guests and and uh, get ourselves together. And plus, I believe that these three interviews and the, the nine that we've chosen are all really fascinating for one reason or another. Yeah. And I'm guessing that not everybody has heard every one because it's impossible to go back now over 150 right. shows and find interviews. And so we are earmarking some of our favorites. Okay? I love it. Yep. All right. Hotshot, none of the first 150 shows are possible without our partners. Saving money on your monthly mortgage. Made simple by Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland team. Huge news coming from Jordan's entire team on next week's show. Unfiltered listeners are saving tons by spending just seven minutes with Jordan or a member of his team. 425-890-2967. Evergreen Golf Call. Tax Advisor Certified Financial Planner. 
planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investment under one roof. EvergreenGK.com. Evergreen is everything wealth. Zeke's Pizza from Tacoma to Bellingham, uniquely Northwest. The best craft beer selection you'll find anywhere with new additions this week. And by the way, you can have your favorite beer delivered to your door by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. Daniel's Broiler has a big problem. They need employees hiring across the board from busboys to waiters to hostesses and bartenders, full-time, part-time. Even my son Max is busting tables. If you or someone you know is looking for a job, danielsbroiler.com or just stop by any of the terrific locations, Daniel's Broiler world-class steakhouses and john waterstrat fireside home solutions great partners the british open pool this past week powered by fireside home solutions and the beat the boys competition is back this football season thanks to john and his team begin your fireplace search and garage doors too. firesidehomesolutions.com this is episode 150 and it starts right now unfiltered something happened there along the way where he turned into kind of this entertaining you could giggle with with him and add him yeah. to this kind of angry remember the stuff on the on the sidelines with the coaches yeah. and he had to be taken you know separated from his coaching staff and there was the thing with Jim Moore right. that he told That's the right. story and and there was there, there were these little things that started popping up and the same kind of happened with Earl unfiltered the first injustice was that they went away from wearing their team's uniforms that 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 to me is in, inexcusable because it was one of the great traditions in all the sports that they sold out yeah. and went away but then the second injustice is what they chose to wear right. were like pajamas yeah it wasn't even like a cool uniform it was terrible <laughs> yeah. mitch is unfiltered Episode 150 is officially underway with my friend Hotshot Scott. I thought that I reset my phone to the factory settings and I almost had a panic attack today. Have, do you have any idea what I'm talking about? I think I, that's oh, the ultimate reboot, why, right? Where you erase everything that's in your phone? Oh, uh, yeah. That would be the ultimate. Now, why would you do that? Only because I was having trouble with the duplicate text? Because <laughs> you wanted to come along? That's I mean, right, what, yes. Why? I was trying to... Are you to, one of those guys who feels like when somebody else is struggling, you want to struggle alongside? I like to sit back and revel okay, in their struggle. Right. No, I'm not that person. Well, we're going to get to that. Yes, we are. Yeah, we're going to yeah, talk... Yeah. That's funny that you should say that, that you joke, but that's funny. That's what the first segment's about. Yeah. Those who sit back and revel in other people's struggles. But yeah, go yeah, ahead. Yeah. No, but go ahead. the yeah. phone is fine. I was trying Everything's to undo fine. a setting. Okay. I, I told it to forget a device, but I couldn't figure out how to unforget it, and yeah. then I read how... To, Next thing you know, the little apple comes up in the little line, like, you know, like the update. Oh. I, I thought my phone was going to look like it did the day I took it out of the box. Oh I was going to be so pissed off. What would you have to – you could still save – it's on the cloud. It's, on, it's somewhere. No one knows how it works Especially if you have nude pictures of a celebrity. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's up there somewhere. <laughs> Somebody true. else is looking at them. Yeah. Maybe you're not. It's just a pain. It would be access. a pain in the ass yes, to get it all back. So yes, anyway, be, averted. Yeah. I'm glad – I'm glad. This is I feel you. obliged – so where were we when we recorded 149P this past week for the patrons on Wednesday night? Where were we on the Richard Sherman story? Do you remember? Yes. I re- it, it had happened on Monday, Tuesday? No, Wednesday. It, it happened, happened on Wednesday, yeah Tuesday, yeah. Tuesday night, yeah. Wednesday morning, and then we recorded on Wednesday night. In fact, we recorded before we had heard the nine. The 911 call was released right after you left and got yeah. into the car. I was literally yeah. sitting in the parking lot at Dairy Queen eating a peanut buster parfait. Listening Look to the audio. You. I thought you didn't eat that stuff anymore. I was. It was a weak moment. 
It was a week by moment. yourself, just looking at your phone. No, no, I had Piper in the back. She was here. Well, it was it was like oh. three hours after. Oh, you I had left. gone and got. I went and got her and, her and took her to a softball oh, tryout. Yeah, and you know who owns DQ, right? I don't. You don't know who owns DQ? No. Berkshire Hathaway. You know who that is? Berkshire Hathaway. You don't know who Berkshire is? Yeah, I think so. That's Warren Buffett. Oh, gotcha. Warren Buffett it's, owns DQ. Really? Yeah. Every time you go and you have a parfait, <laughs> you're putting yeah. money in old Warren Buffett's socks. That's why I always see him like eating a cone. Like every picture of him. Is he? Yeah. There's a picture with Dairy him and Queen. Paul McCartney sitting in like Nebraska and he's yeah. eat, they're both eating cones. Yeah. Okay. Now he's it makes a, he's sense. The owner of, he's the owner of Dairy Queen. Well, I do like I a nice Dairy Queen. So okay. anyway, that's when I first heard the audio tape and- that's kind of. Do you have we a go-to order at Dairy Queen before we start on Richard Sherman? No, but if if I just don't go anymore. But when I was a kid, it was always. Well, do you remember the little the batting helmets that they put, sure. put the soft serve in? Sure. Oh, do they was, have those at Dairy Queen? I don't think they have them. Those anymore, were like but. gas station things, weren't they? No, maybe. But Dairy Queen would literally put the soft serve in the little hat, and then you get to keep the hat. I have pretty a, awesome. I, I, if I go to Dairy Queen, there's just no question what I'm having. I, I go Oreo Blizzard. I'm kind of traditional. Uh, no, I just I get the soft vanilla ice cream in a cone. <laughs> Not an Arnie Palmer, a soft vanilla ice cream in a cone with a chocolate shell that hardens. Oh yeah, yeah. Over the over the soft vanilla ice cream. It's called a dipped cone. A dipped cone. Yeah, I'll help you order next time. <laughs> you don't know what the thing you like is called. Yes. I go to the front and they say, "What can I do for you, sir?" And I say, "Can I have a little bit of little bit of soft serve <laughs> vanilla ice cream in a cone You're right. with, oh. a sh- with a chocolate shell that hardens?" Yeah, yeah. And they probably say, "That's a dipped <laughs> yeah, cone, exactly. sir." Exactly. And there's people waiting behind you. Can you order it right? <laughs> I hadn't had a peanut buster parfait since I'm a kid. I was like, I'm just going to do it. Because I was telling Piper how great it is. She's like, well, then just get one. Did she have one? No. She she wanted. She had a bubble tea. Her move is to get something she loves and then make yeah. me get something that she loves so she can try both. Oh. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. So no, she she always okay. gets a blizzard. But well, anyway, I, I that's think where I, I think we're kind of obliged to go back over the Richard Sherman story, and I I, I want to approach this in a different way than we did on 149P because it was kind of it was kind of happening as we were recording. Yeah. And so we've done that. People have heard that. People have probably heard radio stations and and we don't have to rehash what happened. I think everybody knows what happened. Yep. What I'd like to more focus on here as we start episode 150, and then we'll hold all the other stuff for the other stuff segment after the, the three vintage interviews. Three issues I'd like to hear your thoughts on and give my thoughts on. Okay. Number one, what he did. How bad was what he did? Okay. Number two... The reaction of the world, the, the sports world, the, the social media world, the Twitter sphere, how you felt about the reaction to the Richard Sherman news as, as the details were coming out. Yeah. And then, of course, there was the 911 call between his wife and one of the world's worst operators I've ever heard. Got on that a in my notes. <laughs> it was okay. driving me crazy. That woman is not <laughs> thrilled that that one got out. No. She's probably saying... No. I did 75 that day. I I, I walked a guy off of a, the Empire <laughs> right. State Building, and this is the one that comes yeah. out, right? Yeah. Okay, so there's the 911 call, and then the video at the in-laws' house outside the front door that <sighs> came out. So those are the three things that I'd like to I'd like to get your thoughts on and share with you yeah. a few thoughts. Let's start with what he did because because I'm gonna come at this and, and I. I'm going to say before we begin that I may not be the right guy to listen to talk about this because a lot of my experience four years ago is going to bleed into my opinion of this. Sure. I have empathy. I have sympathy. I'm not a Richard Sherman fan. I think you know that. Yeah. I think anybody who goes back with me to the radio show knows 
I always thought he was a great player, but I never really took to the personality, even before he turned. Yeah. You know, the whole, I got to tell you, the whole, I remember being a little mum on the radio about the whole Aaron Andrews thing. Because people were, remember the Andrew, Aaron, oh, yeah. Aaron so on the, the NFC Championship interview, you know, the Michael Crabtree thing. Yeah, I didn't like that. I remember the world was skewering him over that, except all of us in Seattle, we were going to the Super Bowl. We loved Richard Sherman. So people here were like, oh my God, it was cool. What a, and you mad, bro, you know, him teasing, yeah, yeah. teasing Tom Brady. I remember deep down, and maybe I shouldn't admit to this because I always thought I was pretty unfiltered on the radio. Maybe I was filtered on the radio. <laughs> Deep down, not liking that stuff. I didn't like the mm. Tom Bra- Brady, you mad bro. I didn't like the, the the Aaron Andrews thing. And then in future years, then he turned into complete, he went yeah. completely bonkers with his coaching staff and and with his teammates and Cam Chancellor and then Jim Moore. Oh, you're, yeah. you're a second class citizen. I'll have your, I'll have you. It just it got real. I, I have never been a Richard Sherman fan, and so. I, I want to say that up front before I – I'm not going to defend him, but I'm going to come to his defense in some way. Gotcha. But let's begin with what he did. I don't want to dismiss what he did, okay? I have very little patience for people who get in a car radically, not just on the edge, but radically under the influence of alcohol, which – I'm, I'm assuming he was, yeah. not just over the limit. I mean, a lot of us are over the limit. It doesn't uh, take drive. much. It doesn't yeah. take to get over. But, but he seemed, based on what I've heard and seen now, to be way, way, yeah. no, super, super not being able to drive. Well, he couldn't keep the car on the road. That's a really good sign that he was and way so over the I limit. And so I don't want to underestimate that. Sure. He, he because of his decisions, now he wasn't thinking straight, he decided to put every single person driving on that those roads that night in the construction zone working for a living in that construction area yep. on five. He took everybody else's lives and put them at risk. Yep. Could have killed three people. Right, right. Right. So I don't and he should be held accountable. He should be punished. There should be the whatever the fullest consequences of that are, they should be. How how do you feel about what transpired that night what when i was watching the video i just felt thankful that that door held that's all i could think about what was, was gonna happen so, if he got in there what the hell was i, I mean i don't know the last time you've seen red like that i'm sure we've all been that mad oh, in our lives yeah yeah so you know what it's like i think jimmy shapiro <laughs> yeah there's probably a few producers that have been on Jeff the other Sears end or somebody <laughs> like think that. you're not strong enough to break his door down but i just i was like so thankful that door held he was I, this, we, we could be having a very different conversation. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I, and you're talking about the door, and I'm talking about going into the construction zone that people are there working oh, at 1 well, o'clock in the morning, yeah. and he could have – I don't know how he, how he didn't hit somebody right. that was standing out there working. Well, yeah, I mean, he could have killed somebody very easily. Not right? only the construction zone, he could have just veered into the other lane head on. I mean, yeah, it could have been – Awful. And then he drove, awful. he drove a car that wasn't roadworthy. It wasn't functional. He drove that for a little bit, too, until he decided to ditch it. So, yeah, I'm, I'm with you. It's okay. just like – Okay. It, so you – you and I, you can't be doing that, and he deserves With to Uber be... With Uber and all that? Come on, man. He deserves to be prosecuted, yep. punished, and deserves to, to suffer whatever the, the correct consequences are. Okay, we both agree on that. The reaction, though, I got to tell you, there were so many... And I don't like Richard Sherman, okay? <laughs> You've made that clear, there, yes. <laughs> there were so many people 
that were, as they say, they like to write, I don't know, again, this is another bubble tea thing. Somebody decided doing a victory lap. Have you seen that? Oh, right? yeah, I, yeah. I don't even, I've never heard. I mean, I, until now, I don't know what that, people were doing a victory lap over his issues. Yeah. Oh, he made his own bed. He's always been so outspoken, yada, yada, yada. Uh, good for him. He finally got his. I, I'm reading just vitriol. Yeah. On, on social media and in newspapers and so forth that I I have to wonder what, what what's going on because now I I didn't want and we'll get to the 911 tape I really wish I hadn't heard it I did yeah we'll get to the the video at the door I wish I hadn't seen it Oof. but I did how can any living human being whether you like him or not and I say it <laughs> yeah I don't like don't him care for I, don't, I don't care yeah, for Richard yeah. Sherman but how can anybody Listen to that, see that, read the accounts of what happened and not feel like, okay, this guy has got some real inner stuff going on. How could your, how could your heart not bleed for a guy yeah. who's, I, I mean, I don't want to bring CT in, CTE into this. Who knows? Right. Whatever it is that he's struggling with, how could you not have empathy for a human being that clearly is not right and, and needs help? People, I, I, I just can't imagine the, and I'm not saying it's everybody, but there, you saw it. There's a huge amount of the population out there that like are giggling about this. Yeah, they're loving it. Why? Yeah. What happened? I, th I think that's just social media in general. People just, no matter what, they because it's anonymous, they can just anonymously shoot their little arrows at people because he plays for a team that that they root that they don't root for. I, I don't get it either. I mean, he even came out and said, "I'm, I'm work. I need to work on get the help." And I saw somebody like, I just I looked today actually. Yeah. I wanted to see if there's any. Yeah. Well, how come you haven't spoken out about any mental health issues in the past? And it's like. Can't you just take the guy for at his word? Do we have to always shit on everything? I mean, why? Did, I don't get it either. I don't have an answer for you as to why people people love doing that. I know. I don't. I'm, it's that, very that's obvious me to me. Everything that I've seen over the last week that this guy is hurting big time in inside. Right. Something. He was in pain. Something. Watching this the guy video was sad. The, the guy was talking about. I don't know if he was being serious or he was just drunk. He was talking about committing suicide. I mean, there was just so much for for a guy. By the way, I don't even like. Yeah. <laughs> right. Um. I, the, the the idea that I would have any other intrinsic reaction yeah. than to just feel that he's suffering again should be held completely accountable right for exactly what he did I'm not I'm not saying he should be pardoned in any way but my God how do you feel like anything different than this guy really needs help and I hope he can get his life straight and there his family can get his life straight something so sad about him trying to break down a door and right beneath his feet was a welcome mat. I just kept looking at the. Oh, it, I didn't know. It just says know. welcome. Like, everyone's welcome in our house. And right. here he is trying to. I mean, okay. the whole video made me sad. Yeah. The, it just made me sad for him. And that's where I'm going next. Okay. Should we have seen that video and the 911 call that's not of him? It's a 911 call between his wife and a really poor performing 911 oh, operator. God, she was just. Oh, my God. She was like the rest of the world. Like, she had no, like. As I, I keep coming up with the word empathy, she had no like feelings yeah. for the for what the situation that the woman was in. The wife, she's trying to juggle him. He's you could hear him in the background, yeah. right? But I, I don't know this nine. I know that we are allowed. I know that it's public record. That's I right, know. Yeah. I know. I, I don't. You don't have to tell me that nine one one calls are always part of the public 
uh, part, right. right? That we're always entitled as I know that. Do but sir, do we need? I mean, what what good does that? Do we need to hear that nine one one call? And do I need to see the video of him trying to knock down his in laws? Uh, um, front door. Front door. Yeah. At what point, Scott? Do you stand back and say, okay, I know the explanation. Here's the explanation. Well, you know, we're in a really sensitive stage with police brutality and police going yep. over the, the edge and racial, uh, you know, divide. And, and, and the police need you to know why they sent a dog after him. If we don't release the video or the 911 call, then somebody's going to say to us, you didn't need to. You didn't need to set the send the dog after him. Right. This is you. That was police brutality. He was complying. It was over yeah. the line. I, I understand all that, but there, you know, I, I I've taken a step back on this, and I, again, a lot of this I, I understand, and I confess. You know, four years ago, I went through something very messy. It was all over the place. It was on TV. Oh. It was on in front page newspapers. My picture. My kids. I mean, so I am sensitive to the family members involved here. Yeah. People will say, well, Mitch, now Richard Sherman is making millions and millions of dollars making a playing a public he's a he's a celebrity. He's chosen that route. And so when he gets in trouble, it's not like Frank getting in trouble in 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 Bellingham. It's 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 news and he's got to that's what comes along. I get that and I got that with me. Yeah. But these calls and this video, what they do is they embarrass everybody else. Yeah. They humiliate the wife who did nothing wrong. That's what I was They humiliate say, the yeah. kids. Your he's kids got, didn't he's got a, to be he's got a, That's right. He's got, a, he's got a son. He's got a daughter who got to go back to school. I mean, all this stuff, it feels like it's for our entertainment. It feels entertainment. Mm. I, I don't feel like it's, oh, proper protocol that you guys see this. I feel like it's more like, Let's enter. Let's find some titillating entertainment huh. for the masses at the expense, at the cost of the wife, the son, the daughter, the in-laws, right. the friend. I mean, uh, at it, what point do you say we don't need all this? What, what what good is all this? Yeah, it feels a little invasive. It's totally. It feels like I shouldn't be hearing this conversation between totally. a woman who thinks she's going to die. Right? She didn't know if he was going to come in and kill everyone. She was scared to death, his wife. Yeah. So we're hearing conversations. What good is it? To, why do we need to hear that? Right. It just, it felt invasive and it always feels weird. Over the line. But that being said, I, I listened to it. I mean, I, I you oh, know. Oh, I'm not saying I didn't <laughs> listen to it. Yeah. If it's out there. I'm, Should it be out there? Do we need to hear that stuff? I just think you let the authorities kind of deal with it and handle it. I don't, I don't know why the public really needs to deal with it or needs to see it. It just feels, and I'm wondering, are people going to, like, if you know that, your 911 call is going to be public. Are you going to maybe not be as truthful? I'm wondering if, if that's going to start happening. How about not calling 911 at all? Right. I mean, like, because yeah. you're afraid of right. what's going to happen when TMZ gets the that's right. gets the copy. So, so I'm not even going to call 911. And then somebody dies as a result of you not calling 911 because right. you don't want to embarrass yourself or yep. your family. I'm wondering. Or you don't want to put your kids through this. Yeah. I mean, this they're, the kids, they, he's got little kids yeah. that are going to now live with this. It's, it wasn't their choice for him to play football. It wasn't my kid's choice for me to be a sports guy, whatever I was or am, yeah. right? And yet they're the ones who had to go to school and be teased on the playgrounds and have teachers come up to them or students come up to them or hear people whispering. They're the ones. Uh, that's that's. At what point do, do we not 
protect the innocent. Yeah. Protect the loved ones who are the innocent in all this. I, I don't see any need. I didn't see any need for people to hear that 911 call or see, especially. I don't even know. How does that video get out? That's like the ring. The little we have one. Yeah, most people the, have the little one, yeah. video at the door. Yep. that's that's isn't that property of the in-laws? I mean, how do they don't want? I, I can't sure believe it's the evidence at this point. Yeah, right? but it wouldn't come out so soon. It wasn't even it wasn't even eight minutes of evidence. <laughs> right. The, right? One, the one I saw was somebody was filming a a cell phone, like somebody was taking like filming filming another cell phone. That's the one I saw. So oh, I'm wondering I if no, I saw the actual. I yeah, okay. I, you I saw think, the actual. I think. I don't know. What yeah, I, I don't know. I actually stopped watching it. I think I probably watched 10 seconds of it. Just seeing somebody in that state man, of just enraged. He was not right. It's man. just sad to me. Like, yes. nobody should be in that stage in life where you're you're so red you want to kill people. Like, right. Nobody should. Right. I just felt sorry for and him. And furthermore, nobody should be laughing at that. Right. Yeah. If you're laughing at that, what does that say? Yeah. I know. I, How do you not feel for a guy like that? Even if you don't like him like me. Right. <laughs> Boy, right, that's, he, it. that's it. It's it's interesting. When you see him on the field. I'm uncomfortable with the whole week. The whole week, the whole way that thing played out, people's yeah. reactions, 911 calls, video. I just, it, felt, it felt really like I needed to take a shower. Yep. It was just too much. Again, guy made a huge mistake, needs to be punished for his mistake, mistakes. Yeah. But way to me way over the line people's reactions and the release of those two things yeah. way over the line and to me let's say he i mean we don't know if he's got some mental issues going on but we don't know yeah yeah we do he does well okay maybe he was just having a shit day he had too much to drink and he lost his temper his kids are in his kids are in his in-laws house he's not allowed to come see him it's just start i mean we've all had days where we just see red and we flip out and most of us who do that have something else going on yeah maybe to but get I mean, us to that point but i mean you you, I, yeah. you keep someone's kids away from them you're you might get that reaction you know and i just I, I felt sorry watching him and i kind of forgot how big he is on the field again with the other behemoths he looks like the skinniest guy in the world right and you see him in street clothes that's a big dude man yeah and he was hitting that door yeah. hard i am so thankful that door held who knows what he would have done when he got in there was he we don't even know what he was mad about not that it's our business. We don't know what he was mad about or do we? I, I mean, he wasn't allowed in his in-laws house where his wife and his kids are. That's a good start. Oh, I didn't know that his wife and his kids were there. I thought his wife was back where she called 911 from the Maple Valley house. Oh, I, maybe I'm wrong. Yeah. I, I think th that, well, the 911 call, I think, was from a different incident. It was from before he got into the car and drove away. I, I thought. See. Unless we, unless none of us, you, you and I don't have our facts. <laughs> yeah, maybe. Again, maybe this speaks to me not really... You know, paying attention, yeah. but like not wanting to pay close attention. I was of the opinion that the 911 call preceded him getting in the car, driving out of Maple Valley, driving all the way to Redmond, getting into the accident in the construction zone, okay. leaving the car, stranding the car, and then going to his in-laws. That's what I That's what I thought. I okay. thought you're, you're, you're suggesting that the 911 call was once he got to the Redmond house. Yes. No, I, don't, I, didn't, I, I don't think so, but I don't know. And I thought his wife and his kids were – in the in-laws' house. I don't know that to be true. I, 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 I don't know either. There. Okay. Again, though, it's, it's it's their business. Maybe we shouldn't know, right? right. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Right. <laughs> right. Three interviews, episode 150. Three interviews that I think if you if you want to be entertained yeah. in different kind of genres, you want to get a chuckle or be be um, intrigued by story storytelling, I think you'll like these three. Freddie Couples, uh, Gary Portnoy, 
And the third one is Larry Ratso Sloman. Yep. Okay. It's time that we talk saving money with my buddy Jordan Flowers. How are you, Jordan? Mitch, I am doing great. I am still trying to track you down to win someone money back from golf last year. <laughs> we'll do it. Do I have to call you J Flo on the golf course or can I call you Jordan? Yeah, you know, J Flo's just going to pump me up. <laughs> you better be careful. What are rates these days on 30 year fixed? Yeah, rates are still, we're quoting out in the high twos, low threes on 30 year fixed rates right now. So, depending on if you're looking to do a cash out refinance or a straight rate and term refinance, you're still being able to capitalize on historically low interest rates. Good time to buy a house in the Pacific Northwest? Always a great time to buy. Certainly has its challenges for our buyers, but it's still a great time to buy. And we're helping a lot of people buy homes right now, even with as little as zero to 3% down. We've got some tricks up our sleeve that help our buyers win in competitive situations. So always a great time to look at it. So if I'm considering a refinance, how do I know when the right time is to call you guys? If I look at my 30-year fix that I'm involved in right now, and I see, let's say, 3.7%. Can I save money yeah. by calling you? Absolutely, 100%. You could be looking at saving money on a new 30-year, getting in the high twos, low threes, or shortening the payoff time frame that you have on it and, say, going to a 20-year fixed or something. So certainly mid to high threes, you should be looking at refinancing and taking advantage of these low rates All for right, well, as long as they're here. What's the time investment? How long do I have to talk to Jordan? How long do I have to talk to J-Flow? to find out how much money I can save. You can talk to J-Flow for as little as five to seven minutes okay. or as long as you'd like to chat. <laughs> Jordan Flowers and his Kirkland Office Mortgage Team. 425-890-2957. Unfiltered. You're gonna bail, you're gonna have to bail right. Oh, picked it clean. Boy, that is... He didn't like it. I know. That's... I did. I don't know why he didn't. I did. Beautiful. He didn't move a grain of sand. You looked at believe it. You looked at the world's number one player, without a doubt, right now, Pat. It would be a while before Freddie can putt. Greg Perry has no idea where his ball is, and he has to go all the way down really close to where the old practice range was. Episode 87, and you know, it's been an excruciating period for the entire world, so it seems pretty petty to complain about the lack of sports, but boy, did I miss the Masters this past weekend. It was 28 years ago, almost to the day that our next guest completed a Northwest childhood dream. Ladies and gentlemen, reminiscing about his golf game, probably his least favorite thing to do in the entire world, but I begged, I borrowed, I pleaded. Here's Fred Couples. Fred, how you doing? I'm doing well, Mitch. Well, there's there's one good thing because we have a couple little twists going on here, so it's not all about golf, and and it is a tough time. I'm Suzanne and I and, and Hunter are in Palm Springs or La Quinta at the house, and we're we're hunkered down. And uh, you know, I haven't done many of these, but 
you know, it took me a couple of days for us to figure out when we could squeeze in a half hour. And I, and I guess it only took four days for me to figure out Mitch that I'm wide open. <laughs> All right, your relationship, your relationship with Augusta National is well chronicled. You made a billion cuts in a row. You had some close calls. You won in 1992. My question, my first question is, Fred, do you remember the first round of golf that you ever played at Augusta? Do you remember it? Who was it with and what was it like? Well, that's a great question. It was um, besides a practice round, but it would have been in 1983. And, and I know for a fact that uh, I don't know who I was paired with the first two rounds, but I know I, I shot 73, 68, and back then it went by score. And for some reason, I, you know, I'm going to throw one year I played with Gary Player. So I may have been paired with Gary Player, and I shot 68. And then the third round, I got Tom Watson. And I was never so out of place in my life. So in 83... Tom Watson, I think it had a runner-up, a win in 81, and a win in 77. And I knew this. You know, it doesn't – I mean, I was a kid in, in high school and college when he was doing all this, so I knew how well he played. And we were in pretty good shape. And I went out there, and I was slow, shooting 81. I was in his way. And I looked it up, and he shot 71, which which was an okay round. But I, I – I was so out of place, Mitch, and I, it was embarrassing mm. how poorly I played, but I really just felt like I was playing with a, a king of Augusta, you know, besides Arnold and besides Jack, and I, I, I just couldn't play. I was so nervous, um, but that was my first year. Did you love it right away? Did you know right away this place fits me and I fit this place, or is it an acquired taste, Fred? That's a great question, too, and I've said in a lot of interviews that a lot of the courses that I do really, really well on are courses that remind me of, of Seattle. And people think, oh, the greens at Augusta are so big. Um, well, they are, but they're, they're in areas. So, you know, growing up in Seattle, I became a very, very good iron player in the PGA Tour. Um, I was always up in, in, in the stats and greens and regulation. And so that's why when I got to Augusta, I started playing in, you know, 68, my second competitive round. I haven't had many 68s in 40 rounds, you know, or for 40 years. So it was a very good start. Yeah, I loved the place. I thought I could play there. You know, one of the funny things is as you get to be a better player and you start having – really good players tell you that Augusta is a perfect fit for you, you kind of start believing it, you know? And mm -hmm. at the same time, a lot of good players would say, wow, you know, you got to drive it better to do well at, at the U S open. And that's obvious, but that's obvious for a lot of players. But at Augusta, you know, there was just, there was a love, love relationship. I never really have really had any salty rounds where I just walked off the course and I went, you know, wow, that was just a really, really bad round. And there have been a lot where I've played, you know, good rounds and kept my way in there. So I, I know how to play the course. And I, I learned by playing with some of the best. And I will say, you know, Ray Floyd was a guy I played a lot of practice rounds with in the late 80s. And who who better to learn from him, you know, than, than how to play the course. And uh, 
you know, like I say, the greens are huge, but if, if you play some of these holes and you're in the wrong spot, yeah. you'd rather not be on the green. You yeah. know, you'd rather yeah. be chipping or in a sand trap. But anyway, I, I love the place. You you kind of beat me to my, my next question. I was going to ask you about tips that you received along the way. I know that you were you and Floyd were, were buds. You probably got a tip from Palmer. You got a, probably got a tip from Nicholas. I, I don't know, in a practice round or something, can you remember anything that anybody said to you, said, Fred, here, uh, here's something that you should remember. You remember any of those tips or advice that you got that you could share? Well, I, I mean, I can share a few things. You know, I was playing not even at Augusta. You know, I was playing with Ray Floyd, who a lot of Ray Floyd stories, and I actually texted him today. I found a cleaning up. I found a Christmas card when his kids were about seven and eight, nine years old, and I had to send it to him and. Hmm. Then we texted a little bit. It was a lot of fun. But, you know, he's the one who told me, um, hey, listen, you know, when you're playing a golf course and as good as you're driving it and hitting it, you know, the par 69, you should be able to, to birdie three of the four par fives. And a couple of times we played in practice rounds, you know, and you hit a good drive on the second hole and you know, you're shooting for the flag and number, th- of course, 13 and 15. And, you know, he, he was the one who kind of said, listen, you're not going to eagle these holes. Okay. You may have an odd eagle around here because you drive it so far, but you need to birdie them and you can't short self yourself and you can't hit it in the Creek on 13 or the water on 15. You got to, you know, you got to play smart here and you'll do well. Besides that, you know, little things. I played a lot of practice rounds with Davis love because we were best friends. Yeah. And he was really, he was really close with Tom kite back there mm-hmm. back then. And if you look at Tom kite's record at Augusta, Tons of top tens. Yeah. And, you know, Kite's one of the best putters. Um, and, and I think one of the things, you know, he said is you just need to become a really, really good lag putter. He was helping Davis and I both. And, and, and one of the things people ask, you know, also about Augusta is I may not be the best putter from inside four or five or three feet, but when you start lagging the ball – I can I can figure a green out or a 50 foot putt on how much break really really easily and I have great touch on that and and that helps uh, a ton around Augusta. Hey Fred, were you were you the type of guy? Are you the type of guy that went back there in between Masters to play for a weekend? I don't know, take buddies or or go or were you are you the guy that only just shows up there for the Masters in April? No, I, I've only I've never gone to the course except for one year, and I don't even remember the year it was, but it was the year they started lengthening the tees. Uh-huh. Um, so whenever that was, I, I'm not smart enough to figure it out. And it was at the end of November, early December. It might have touched both days. And Mitch, I, I, so we we played in the morning because I went with you know some older guys. They flew me over there. I didn't really want to go. Uh, it's just a long way to go from California to play, and it was like 45 degrees. And so we get there, and we wake up, and lo and behold, I hit driver two iron into the first hole and played, and I actually played a, a, a pretty good round. And then the rest of the guys went and played the par three, and I just rested with a gentleman named Sam Reeves, who's become a very, very good friend. And then the next day we woke up, and it was in, and in the wind on number one, and I hit a driver in three wood. And I said to these guys, wow, what are we doing here? <laughs> and, you know, and, and you're at Augusta, which is, I'm going to say this was 
in the late eighty, or excuse me, late nineties, maybe. Yeah. Um, and so I was just reading something that Trevor Trevor Immelman was talking about, and in November, you know, wind will be a different direction. It'll and it'll make the golf course play much longer. Well, I can attest to that. I did not call Trevor up and say you're correct. I mean, I played there. The greens were perfect. They were, you know, a little soft, but they were as fast as they ever were. It's just the golf course played really, really long. What will be the a funny? What will be the winning score if they play it in November? That's a tough question. So, if I had to guess, you know, which I'm going to, I'm going to tell you that if a guy can go around and shoot, you know, unless we get incredible weather or unless it's blowing and it's 50 degrees, who knows? But if it's decent weather, I'm going to say the winner's going to be around 9 to 11 under. Oh, really? That low, huh? Yeah, I don't think, you know, I don't think this, because it should be soft. I know they have the uh, uh, the air pumps that, that suck the water out of the green, so they won't be, like, brutally soft. They'll still get them firm, but I just think, you know, I, I, again, I don't know. I'm just listening to a couple of players talk about the wind and how long it's going to play. And, you know, I lived that dream a long time ago. But I don't think length really will affect these top players because they hit it so far. But, you know, if you if you cruise around there in 470s, you're, you're obviously eight under. And I don't think there will be many 65s or 60s shots. So it, it could be a, a Masters where there's Saturday and Sunday, there's 20 guys within three or four shots unless – you know, unless somebody goes out and shoots 67, 68. But, uh, you know, if, if there's three, four, five under par, there'll be a ton of guys with a chance on the weekend, which could be very interesting. All right, let's talk about 92 for a second. And I'm not, not going to ask you about number 12. Everybody and their brother has talked about the 12th hole forever for 28 years. So let me ask it to you this way. Are there any other shots, and it doesn't even have to be from the final round, are there any other shots that you remember either from that year or any other year? Like, does a shot or two come to mind as some of the great shots that maybe you ever hit? At Augusta National. Well, I'll start real quick with Sunday, the year I won. So I, I, I hook it off the tee on number one into the ninth fairway. Okay. I have a clean shot. I get a nine iron on the green, two putt par. Second hole, I pull hook it down in the creek and make a great six. Third hole is a two iron and a nine iron or two iron and a wedge. Uh, and I cold fat a two iron off the tee. <laughs> And when I and when I say fat at it, you know, it still went a couple hundred yards, but it was it was just horrible. We take two steps off the tee, and my caddy, who is a phenomenal Joey Lacava, yep. so this, I've had it for a handful of years. You know, not that many at that time. And he looks at me with a few choice words, but the bottom line was, which he'd never really done. He goes, "Will you get a blank, blank, blank glove and get in the game?" <laughs> And, and, then, and then I hit a seven. Or excuse me. I hit a. I thought I hit. I hit an. He corrected me. I hit an eight iron from one fifty seven to a foot and made birdie. And then I, you know, it was an incredible shot. I mean, I don't think I could hit a wedge anywhere near where I hit it. But I pulled it off. And then I, I, I kind of kept going and I played a really good round. But you know, over the times where I've played there. Most of the time when I have a pretty good round and I've never looked it up, but I've had people tell me, you know, wow, you really have not ever had any incredibly low rounds. 
but I've had a lot of 70s and 69s, and you do it in a flurry. You know, you can you can go and you can bogey 9, 10, and 11, but you can also go, you know, Eagle 13, par, par 14, and birdie 15. And that's what I seem to have done a few times where, you know, if I'm not off to a good start, I seem to settle in. Maybe I maybe I birdie eight uh, and end up shooting even or one over the front, and then I, I do well the back. So there's never really been a big panic session there. Although last year I played the first round, and I didn't play that poorly – but I really misplayed it. I mean, I'm 60 years old, so it doesn't really matter. But I misplayed a couple of shots, the back nine, going for both 13 and 15 from way too far back. And I splashed them both, and I made a six and a seven, mm. and I was pretty livid. But, uh, you know, 20 years ago, I felt like the golf course was for me to play a really good round. How I did that was, was just, you know, as they say, just, you know, putting well, and playing the course and, and kind of, you know, attacking when you were playing well. And, and it sounds so easy, but that's kind of, if you look at it, you know, I went stretches where I, I played five holes, three over par. Uh, and you don't really want to do that. Rarely did I go, you know, 16 pars, one birdie, and one bogey. Favorite hole and least favorite hole? Oddly enough, I love the first hole. I, I love starting off on it. I feel very comfortable on it. I would say my least favorite hole is probably 11. I just, I just really struggle on the hole. I've probably, probably played it a couple over, you know, every every Masters tournament, mm. a couple pars, a couple bogeys. But uh, you know, there's some sleeper holes that people don't really ever talk about. I think 17 is a sleeper, and an 18. I was just talking about it uh, on the phone with someone today, or texting about how hard. You know, 18 now, when the tee's way back there, it's like you can barely drive a Volkswagen up the middle of the fairway, and it's 450 uphill. It's just brutal. But for me, the first hole I really, really like, and I think it's also, you know, let's get the round off, let's get going, and uh, and I struggle on 11. Yeah. What'd you serve for the dinner in 93, Fred? I served chicken cacciatore because that was gene serrazano's <laughs> favorite meal and let me tell you something i was going through my stuff in the garage today i've been cleaning and i will send you a picture later i found not the year i won but i found one of the dinner menus and the only signature on it was gene sarazen i mean i know that's really weird but i'm looking through this and i'm going wow that's gene sarazen's signature so uh, he was one of my favorites. He always had a nice thing to say, but I, I served uh, chicken cacciatore. What it feel like to tee it up at one, your favorite hole, as the defending Masters champion? Do you remember 93 at all? I don't, I don't even remember 92 at all. I mean, I can't tell. I, <laughs> you know, if we really sat down right now and you uh, said I'll give you $100 for every shot you can remember, but you got to give me 500 for every one you can't, I'd say I don't want that bet. I just – I don't remember it. I remember, you know, some bad things. I remember easily O'Mara birding three of the last four holes. I remember Phil – I remember some other times I had a chance, but in 93, I, I can't even tell you how I did or what I shot or if I was even a factor. But, you know, you're always nervous there. And I know that I didn't really sleep well a couple nights 
um, before the past champions dinner because I had no clue what was about to transpire. And that was a really, really, I'm glad it was Tuesday, not Thursday, because I probably would have shot 80 on Thursday if I'd known the, if I, the dinner on Thursday night. But yeah. it was, it's very nerve-wracking to go in there. I mean, you got all those people staring at you, and you're at the head of the table with Byron Nelson, and back then it was Jack Stevens on, on the front. And, and it was it was like amazing. Mm. Look, your place in history is secure. You're a Hall of Famer. You should have no regrets. You won a million tournaments. But I want to ask you, how, how much does it bug you or doesn't it bug you at all that you never won a second one with all the times that you contended and you were close? Yeah, it kills me. Uh, you know, there's one PGA that, you know, I should have won, okay, but I didn't. And there's a couple British Opens, but I think – you know, I didn't watch it today. I didn't. I just didn't have the. I didn't want to watch. I felt like I completely outplayed. And this is irrelevant, okay? And, but I couldn't be the guy who probably loves Augusta more than me. And and then with O'Mara, I never let my foot off the gas. But you know, he birdied 15, 17, and 18. Which, if you're close, you go on to win. It's kind of hard to beat a guy shooting three under. But it kind of bothers me because. You know, I really should have won another major, and that probably would have been in Augusta. I mean, the U.S. Open, I, I was only really a factor twice, and that's when Payne Stewart won. But I love Augusta. I can play Augusta. I was talking to Ray Floyd today, and I told him, you know, between me, because he always told me, you're going to win it again. And I said, between me and you, we could have won five of these things. Yeah. And he goes, five? You're undercutting us. And I said, well, I got one, and I think – you know, I think you could have had three more. Maybe I should have won more. And he, he says, no, we should have won more than that. But as life goes on, I can tell you that I think it's because I really love the place that I don't look at it. You know, I don't look down on it. And and was I disappointed when O'Mara made that putt? Yeah, I was like, you know, are you kidding me? You know, this is wow. I just didn't expect it. And he made it. And then against Phil, you know, I, I never hit the ball so well uh, on a Sunday in any tournament. And, you know, I didn't putt that well, and, and he got it up and down a few times. And trust me, hit the ball very well, too. But tee to green, you know, I had so many chances, and I just didn't get the job done. You know what I hated about that one the most was the fist bumping. I hated the fist bumping. You and Phil, too pally-pally in the final round of the Masters. Way too pally-pally. You know, there's something about that. that I, I will tell you a quick, quick little story on that. <laughs> It's because we were really, really good friends, and we're going down the 7th fairway, okay? And he looks at me, and he gives me a, you know, a fist pump, and he says, look, one of us two are going to win this. So I just want you to know that. One of us two are going to win this. And I don't even know who the hell was around us, okay? Yeah. I don't think we had a five-shot lead over everyone. So I kind of settled in, and then I, you know, I knocked it on eight, and I three-putted from a long way. But that was like... You know, I mean, I could have two-putted it, but but then the fist pups came, and because I know him so well, I didn't have a problem with it. And and you know, and I and and more than you have told me that. But if I was playing Norman or Seve or Watson, you know, none of that would have happened, and and maybe that relaxed Phil also. But it feels pretty pretty relaxed there. And yeah, I mean, you know, people have said, "What were you doing?" I'm like, you know, I'm just playing golf. The guy birdies a hole, I birdie a hole. He's giving me a fist pump. I can see your point. Very valid. Very valid. I, if you were there, I wish you were there. Walked out to me on that the 13th hole and said, "Look, 
forget the fist pump. <laughs> <laughs> All right, I have two. La- I know you have Popeyes waiting. I got two last questions for you. The first well, question. Wait a minute. What? I, it took me thirty minutes to do this music pool. <laughs> All right, I got three. I got three last questions for you. Before you'll you'll give us your final four before we get get off the phone. Number one, if you had your choice right now in quarantine, you could snap your fingers and change the course of Fred Couples history. You could have a second Masters, you could have a U.S. Open, or you can have an Open Championship. One of those three as your second major championship. Which one would you choose? I would say an Open Championship. British. Yes, yes. Our National Open, Tom Watson told me the other day, was his greatest victory, and he explained why. He also was never so crushed because he was so close with Stan Thursk, who was his teacher and a huge PGA guy. But for me, I really love the British Open, but Augusta is my favorite. And because I'd won Augusta, I could ease, I can easily say the Open or the British it's just something that I, I, I felt like I could get through and win one of those two, but never have. Okay. Won a British senior. Does that count? No. <laughs> no. Doesn't count. I figured. Good. You said that <laughs> It means nothing, doesn't uh, it? No, it means something. It means something. But it doesn't fully count. All right. Last golf question, and then we'll get to the bracket. You were there in 86. You were there in 97. For my money, those were the two years that stand out. 86, you know, I grew up in North Palm Beach, Florida. I knew the Nicholas family a little bit. And just watching in my dorm room in Syracuse, New York in 1986. You were there. You were a part of the of the tournament in 86. You were also there in 97 for Tigers first. Did you know, Fred, at the time that it was these two instances were going to be so damn historic or did you need time to move on and then you look back upon 80 what'd you think at the time in those years 86 and 97 when jack was winning and when tiger was winning well first when i i was just finished the 18th hole and there were so many people around the ninth green so obviously you know mitch that 18 and nine nine green are not far apart at all and jack i knew jack was on the green and he made a birdie, and it was the loudest. I've heard some roars, okay, but that's 1986. So at that time, it was the loudest roar I have ever heard in my life. It was incredible. So then I took my time. Back then, you signed your scorecard right behind the uh, 18th green. So then I made my way out, and I timed it perfectly where he was teeing off on 10, and you could see the ball take off. And, and so he hit a beauty there, and then I rushed back to the house, which I, I was staying at, and, and watched this victory. And just just to watch it with his son was an incredible, an incredible – because everyone loves Jack Nichols. Then you go 11 years later, and I played, I played a practice round that week with Tiger. And the last thing – you know, I didn't know him at all. I played one or two other times with him. And so I shook his hand and I said, look, kid, have a great week this week. Go get them. And so I played, I think I finished and I got back to the house and he was shooting 40. And I'm like, wow, I just didn't, you know, I, I, I just didn't see this coming. He was right. playing so well. Right. And then, of course, he shoots 30 to back nine. And then the next thing I remember was really the hug with his father. Right. And, and Jackie Jr. and Jack's hug was an incredible thing. 
Then you get Tiger's hug with his father, and they're so close. And then you fast forward to last year, yep. and you see, you know, Tiger hugging his son and daughter was, you know, for me, I love stuff like that. You know, the caddies get big hugs, the caddies. But Tiger's kids weren't even going to be there, and I knew that for a fact because I asked him, look, if your kids come, you know, I'd, I'd be more than happy to spend a lot of time with them. They don't know me that well, but I can – he goes, look, they can't see. There's no reason for them to be here. They can't see a shot. So all they're going to do is play soccer at the house. And sure enough, Sunday they were there. Uh-huh. Have you ever heard Jack talk about the roar at nine and why it was so loud? No, I, I, I have no clue. He says, I heard him the other day say that he was out of character at nine. He had walked up at nine. He was way out of the lead. And he was kind of chatting with the gallery around the ninth before he, he sunk the putt. He was like, he was just shooting the you-know-what with them. He was like, let's see if I can make something happen here. What do you guys think? Let's try to make something happen here. And that's why he thinks the roar was so loud when he made the putt, because he was talking with the gallery at the time. Wow. And, and that's no setup. I have, I've never heard that, but I've told it story 20 times where there was a roar that just was and then obviously there was a yep. roar every holy play but i'd never heard that story yeah, wow yeah, how yeah. how you knew that jack jack just kind of having fun and then yep things got a little busy that last nine for him. <laughs> all right all right before the pot pies have you looked at the brackets do you have a final four for us i do i'm gonna go right to the grade eight okay yep i'm gonna go with and I and I don't have my glasses, so I can't see it. But I'm going Brady, Brady Bunch versus Beretta, and then and then underneath, and I'm going Curb Your Enthusiasm with Monday Night Football. Okay. And then on the other side of the bracket, I'm going, of course, the Masters versus Sanford and Son. Okay. And then at the bottom of that bracket, I've Gilligan's Island versus Happy Days. Okay. okay. And then. So the final four, I have Beretta versus Monday Night Football. Yes. And on the other side, I have the Masters versus Gilligan. And then I have Monday Night Football versus the Masters. And then one of the biggest upsets I've ever seen. (laughs) Everyone thinks I'm going to pick the Masters. I'm going with Monday Night Football. Uh, A true sports fan at heart. Did you have a favorite TV show as a kid? Did you have a favorite sitcom that you loved to watch? (laughs) Yeah, I mean, (laughs) you know, there were a handful of them, but – Oddly enough, I could watch a little of Beretta as I got a little older, and I and I I I, I like that show. But I used to watch with my father Sanford and Son, and then I would watch a lot of Gilligan's Island after school. I wasn't once I got to be a little older. I, you know, everyone gets out of cartoons, but Happy Days at Night. That's why I chose all these. I mean, you had a would you have sixty two of them? So I I, I made eight of them. <laughs> Um, and Curb Your Enthusiasm, uh, the show makes me so edgy uh, <laughs> that I have to pick. And I, to be honest with you, I, I, can't, I can't even give you the jingle on that. But uh, I just figured I'd, for Suzanne, I'd give you a little Curb Your Enthusiasm, which we watch all the time. Give Suzanne and Hunter a hug for me. I can't wait to see you again. Hopefully there'll be a tournament up here someday or you'll be back. And I, I can't wait to visit with you. I know. Isn't this the craziest thing ever? But yeah. hopefully everything will start opening up. And- and including businesses and golf and this monster will go away. But Mitch, thanks for having me on and, and Masters Week is a huge deal and I appreciate, you know, you throwing me a couple bones there. Take care, Fred. Okay, Mitch, thank you.
Hey, it's financial trivia time with Katie Versio, senior financial planner for our partner at Evergreen Golf Call. Hi, Katie. Hi, Mitch. Thanks for having me. It's great to have you back. I think I may have embarrassed myself with an 0 for 3 performance the last time. I'm ready to do better. Is there a theme to this? Yes, the theme today, it's a mid-year market update. I figured it'd be good to just check in. There's been a lot of movement and just see where things are. Okay, I'm ready. Question number one. All right, let's see how closely you've been paying attention to the market. The first one is an easy one. It's a true or false. Value stocks are outperforming growth stocks this year. I'll say true. Ding, ding, ding. That's correct. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, for the last... 10 years or so, growth has really outperformed. Those names like Amazon, Facebook, Google have really been doing well. And this year, we've seen a little bit of a trend reversal. Some of those tech names have struggled earlier this year and value has outperformed. Okay. Question number two, I'm one for one. All right, so the next one is about inflation. So this is a very hot topic in the market today. What is the current one-year inflation rate from June 2020 to June 2021? So how much have the cost of goods and services in the economy grown over that one-year period? Is it 1%, 2.5%, 4.6%, or 5.4%? Clearly it's over four. The question is, is it over five? I'll go C. Four point, what was it? Four point six percent. I think he gave me a C. Yeah, so that's actually incorrect. Uh, it's D five point four percent. So this is a huge number. It hasn't been seen since two thousand and eight. Costs and goods and services have really been increasing. This is a big trend that our investment team is watching, and we're really have been over the last six months or so repositioning portfolios to adjust for this new trend we're seeing. All right, still a chance for me to go six sixty seven, Katie. Lay number three on me. In 2021, what's the best performing asset class so far? Is it real estate investment trusts, energy, large cap stocks, or financial stocks? Well, I think it's large cap stocks. Is that not right? I'm sorry, Mitch. That is incorrect. Most years, it is large cap stocks, and all of these asset classes have performed well, but the top performing asset class is energy this year. It's up over 40%. I'm sure your listeners probably experience that when they go to get gas. We sure do. Well, 0 for 3 last time, 1 for 3. I'm moving in the right direction. We love Katie Versio. We love Evergreen Golf Call. Everything wealth. Unfiltered. As episode 90 continues, our first ever TV theme song tournament is in the books and we have a champion. And it's not a real surprise that Cheers basically steamrolled the competition. And joining us on the Zeke's Pizza Hotline is the proud New Yorker who performed and co-wrote where everybody knows your name, Gary Portnoy. Gary, what a pleasure it is to have you on the podcast during these crazy times. I hope everybody in your world is okay. Hey, they are. Good to be here, and thank you for giving me something to do. (laughs) The the song is 40 years old. It stands the test of time. And I sheepishly wonder if an accomplished songwriter and singer like yourself, who's had a long career, gets tired of telling the same story about one song in his portfolio. 
Yes. <laughs> <laughs> but you'll do it one more I mean, time for us. Yeah. You know, it's never the same. You know, it's always a little different. <laughs> I bet it, it'll, it'll be a little different. Uh, you know, coming from you, it'll be a little different. Uh, so go back. You're the co-writer. And you're doing yes. a New York musical at the time in the late 70s, early 80s. Tell the story. I'm a co-writer and I'm doing a musical in, the, in 1982. And uh, some of the songs from the musical were being shopped around, I guess, to try and raise money yeah. to inv- for people to invest in the musical. And uh, somebody knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody, and and uh, the, the tape wound up on the desk of the Charles brothers, uh, Glenn and Les Charles, who were the writers and co-producers of Cheers. So, you know, my Grandpa Harry always said, uh, Destiny, the most, he, he would say, Gary, my boy, the most important word in the dictionary, fate, destiny. <laughs> so, so whatever, somebody had... Somebody had a, a guiding arm on that tape, and because of that, they uh, they listened and they liked one of the songs on it for a show they were doing called Cheers. So they got in touch with us and uh, and said, we want to use one of these songs for a theme song for this new show that we're going to be doing in the fall called Cheers. And, you know, that was the beginning of a, a, a long psychodrama that mm-hmm. followed because we, we couldn't give them the song. It was... It was contractually tied to the musical, and the producers of the musical didn't care squat about a TV show that was going to be coming on called Cheers. So that's what happened. You know, that was the genesis of that song. Um, what became of the musical? And should the uh, are the are the producers were they kicking themselves for many many years to come for not giving or selling the song to Cheers? This little TV show. No, called Cheers? Be, because you know by the vagaries of the music business and the theater business, they didn't own the song. Oh, but they but but the song was contractually tied to their show. So in other words, they wouldn't have made a dime if it had been the theme to Cheers, <laughs> but but we would have. So it, it it was weird. They it, because it was written for their show, they had the right to uh, forbid us from taking it away from it. But they didn't actually own the song. I mean, that's too much information. But um, so no, I don't th- I don't think they kicked themselves at all. They weren't the type to kick themselves, you know. No no conscience. What became but, of the musical? Um, <laughs> it um, closed very quietly. It was called Preppies, right? It was, yes, yes. But if it wasn't for that show, you know, this song, where everybody knows your name, would never, would, would not exist, because um, when they, when the, when the producers wouldn't let us take the song, we offered, we said, well, can we write you another song? For your for your show, Cheers. So if it wasn't for that show, I always I console myself whenever I feel bad about what happened to that show. That if it wasn't for the show, right? You know, you're lucky. The Charles brothers said after they were turned away for that song, that they said yes, go ahead, try to write a. Yeah, no, or, I, or were they saying that to a lot of different songwriters and performers? As far as I know, and it's kind of inexplicable, they never put it out to anybody else. And they liked us. And it's strange, too, because the song that they initially were interested in is nothing like the one that wound up being used. But they liked us. As far as I know, 
They never offered it to anybody else. Wow. Wow. And they could have gone to anybody they wanted. Sure. Um, yeah, no, they were amazing. They were, they were amazing. Because, you know, we wrote another song, they turned it down. We wrote another song, they turned it down. And they kept, they kept giving us space and relaxing us and, and, never, and never gave anybody else a shot at it. It was truly amazing. Yeah. Especially since, you know, it doesn't, you could get 10,000 songwriters to, to, to write a song on spec for nothing. So, um, yeah, I'm really grateful to them. They're great people, and uh, they, you know, it's that old cliche, they believed in us. Yeah, yeah. Amazing. Gary, how old were you at the time, and what would you say, how would you characterize the state of your career at that moment? You had written some songs, I think I read, for Dolly Parton, Air Supply, the the, the TV show Fame, but what would you say... What would you yeah. say the uh, the state of your career was when this thing happened for you? Very nervous and shaky because uh, I was 25. I had moved into the city and was uh, renting uh, an apartment based on the salary I was getting. I was a staff writer for a publishing company, and they fired me. And so, you know, I had had some songs recorded by some, you know, famous people at the time. Well, still famous now, but um, but they hadn't been, uh, you know, hit singles. They were album cuts. So um, in terms of, I guess they didn't make the kind of money that my publisher wanted them to make. And, and they fired me. So I found myself quasi-broke in an apartment I couldn't afford. Wow and not wanting to move back into my parents' house and, you know, everything a 25-year-old would be feeling. So I was pretty, uh, maybe just short of desperate would be a good way to call it. I felt a little de- I felt a little desperate, you know. I felt a little desperate at that, at that particular time. Uh, that, that, would, that would describe my situation so, at that so time. You, so you wrote a song called My Kind of People, Yes, and that yes, that yes. didn't work. They said no to no. that one. Then you wrote another one yes. called "Another Day," and the Cheers folks yeah, said, "Yeah, it's a nice song." Yeah, didn't it's they said nice no song, good? To, no, 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 they passed on that one too. They did. They did. They did. Yeah. And then, did you know? I mean, is it like the rain in Spain stays mainly on the? I got it. I think I got it. I mean, is it? Yeah. I I I think I did. I don't. I don't think Judy. I think I did. You know, it just was a feeling, and but it, you know, I I didn't know how they would respond. I I just felt that it was that was it. You know, if it was up to me, <laughs> but it wasn't, of course. But um, yeah, I I I'm not going to say I had no idea. I really uh, felt something. I felt something. But you know, it was so hectic, and time was getting tight, and it was hard to really it was hard to really stop and assess anything. It was more like you know, let's get it out there before someone swoops does. in and yeah. and writes another song. You know, writes another. Right. You know, because now we were on like our fourth song or something. You know, and it was as much as it was incredible of them to let us keep going they were getting under pressure too because they needed a song they had to yeah and they had to present to the network so yeah so now where everybody knows your name is born you go to them and they don't like the first verse because it's too boston right correct yeah too specific yeah 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 because it yeah because it was, it, it dealt specifically with, um, it was uh, singing the blues when the home teams lose. It's a crisis in your life. On the run, because all your girlfriends want to be your wife. 
and the laundry tickets in the wash. You know, it was very kind of, you know, things that could, and it was Sam Malone focused, I guess. And they liked it. But they just felt it was too regional and and specific, so they said, um, get rid of it and come up with something more mm. universal and general. And, you know, I like the original ones myself, but wasn't going to say no. Was there, was, <laughs> were the Red Sox mentioned in the original one? Yes. Did I say home teams? I, it, I, it, it, yeah. Originally, it was singing the blues when the Red Sox lose. It's a crisis in your life. And then we took it upon ourselves to say, maybe that's too specific to Boston. I see. So we made it home teams, yeah. singing the blues when yeah. the home teams. So we were like, I guess we were already a little sensitive to the fact that it was, you know, Boston. So we changed it to home teams, but it didn't matter. Yeah. They they were having none of it. And then it you, was, you, left the, you left them and you wanted to redo, you know, they liked the song, but you had to redo the first yeah. verse and you're working with judy yeah. your co-writer in the tax yeah. in a taxi cab on the way back to the studio well polishing you know we i, I don't remember exactly but I, I do remember a cab ride polishing up you know we booked the studio time before you know we had them so close to liking a song that we booked the studio time before we actually did the work uh-huh. so we booked the we booked the studio and we started uptown and we were still working in the cab on the way down to the studio uh, to make sure we you know got something out really fast you know i love the sound of the backup singers in the chorus, okay. you must have had some great backup singers when you hit the chorus in that song. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Tell everybody who the backup singers in that song at the chorus. Who are yeah, It's Gary, 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 and Gary. <laughs> it's, um, it's six Garys, yeah, yeah. Is it six Garys? Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I, I was so, you know, I've been doing that my whole, well, my whole life, but the whole time I was in the music business, that was sort of my thing. So this song was no different in, in that regard. And uh, I just layered myself on top of myself, which um, irritates people no end when they license the song, when they license the recording. And, um, yeah. you know, they're like, we're, we're sending you a, 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 a SAG, you know, Screen Actors. We're sending you a singer's contract for a scale. I said, that's, I say, that's fine, but just make sure it's each of the six singers gets scale. <laughs> and then they, they're like, what? what? You, you want six times scale? I go, no, that would be, I said, that would be greedy and disgusting. I want scale for each of the six singers who sang on the song. I said, because if I had used five other people, you wouldn't be able to say, you know, you did a great job, but we're only paying Gary. So it's always a fun conversation whenever I deal with that. Oh, that's funny. That's funny. So yeah. it's chosen, it's aired, it transcends the show, it's been talked about for 50 years. Gary, what's so yeah. what's so good about the song? What's the hook? I like that. I, I kind of think the piano intro is huge yeah. in the song. Yeah, I think so, too. Um, I think so, too. Uh, Ted Danson once said to Judy's daughter, he said, you know, we, we really didn't even have to come to work. If they just played that intro, people would have watched. So there is something about that intro, which I, ha- I really have to credit Judy on that because we were just fooling around and 
you know, she really heard something and edited it down. It was, we were just saying, we, we were saying this song is a ballad and it's soft. We got to do something to get people to come into their TV. Yeah. So I was doing, you know, we need the, we need the queen's horns. We need da, 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 da. And, and Judy was like, wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Do that again. Da, but shorten it, shorten it, you know, and, and, and really heard something in there that I, I was just kidding. And so those, like those, coronet things got shortened down to that intro that uh, mm. really to this day is like a calling card of sorts so so that's definitely part of it mm. I, I don't know I'm hard pressed to explain the whole phenomenon of that yeah other than, other than you know it, it can be other than it, it's a lonely world and people seek to belong when my mother went to her first AA meeting which she picked randomly she walked in and they began every AA meeting singing that song. Mm. And this was 1984 or something when she told me that, you know, this, this drinking song, of course it was never a drinking song, but this drinking song being used in a AA meeting. And I thought, you know, there seems to be a universal, <laughs> a universality here because if you can cover those two bases at the same time, it probably relates to a lot of things. And over the years, that's what really has been. It's, it's just been like the sense of belonging yeah. and, uh, and lack of aloneness in a million different, I guess, con- you know, a million different situations and contexts or whatever. You try to have every song you write be universal, but they're not. And, uh, and this one, I guess, is. The show is still on all the time in syndication and streaming service, yeah. and I don't want to get too personal, yeah. but I think yeah. people would be interested in our audiences. How do the royalties work? I mean, what determines yeah. the amount each yeah. time? When was that negotiated at the very beginning? You, I'm assuming yeah. you get paid every time that song plays, and it gets played all the time. Yeah. A lot of it's preset. It's not... it. it you, you negotiate originally that you're going to get paid, but the actual amounts, it, 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 it really depends on the plat, you know, if it's network television, local television, cable television, Spotify, streaming, you know, it, it, it's, I've never been able to think, you know, you have to take a lot of it on good faith because, and then you get into foreign countries, you get, you know, you get these statements from Latvia and uh, <laughs> Romania and, you know, you kind of have to also take that on good faith because go try and find out what it is. But so, so you, you know, you, you get paid, obviously, by how often it's played and where it's played. And I'm fortunate because whenever it's played, I also get paid as a singer, as a vocalist. So um, as six vocalists, as we <laughs> previously discussed. So, um, yeah, to, I mean, to say that it's been a blessing in my life would be a huge understatement. I think we owe you some money on this podcast, by the way. <laughs> you probably do. <laughs> but we'll keep it we'll keep it between us. You know, hey, hey like, Gary, wasn't it on a Super Bowl com- commercial a few years back? And it was. It, and do it, they have to come yeah. to you? Who who owns the the song? Do you have to come to you to negotiate that with you? How does that work? Well, it's so funny cuz you know, when something like that happens, I get an email from like someone I went to high school with and they go, you may, you should know your song was just played on the Super Bowl as if, you know, I mean, I mean, it's very nice of them to alert me, but they, but those things are six months in the works because there's so many, you know, they, they have to get the rights to the song from Sony ATV, who's now the the publisher of the song. 
it used to be Paramount Pictures who produced Cheers, and then they were sold. And so, and then they have to get, um, if they want to use the recording from the show, they have to get permission from CBS because they now own Cheers. And then if they get the rights to the song and the rights to the recording, they have to come to me and deal with the, the vocal issue that you and I discussed a few minutes ago. And we have to negotiate that. So it it really is it's it's more complicated than your typical song because if you know if it wasn't a TV show you just have to get the publisher, um, but it's a it's a multi pronged thing with with uh, Cheers, and then uh, and then at the last minute I get to step in and have a tiny little bit of power for about five minutes but it's a nice <laughs> feeling you know for about about half a day I I control the whole thing because ah, they've all done all their work and now they need but, you and that you know, that's how that ha- you know that's how that happens but uh, yeah it's a complicated uh, it's amazing it ever happens but that's what uh that's what happens gary you went on to do other theme songs punky brewster mr i love the mr belvedere leon redbone one oh, uh, i think you. it's he passed awesome away recently i yeah, 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 he did I, I love that song um i yeah I, I have to do the math real quickly you're about 25 yeah. in 1980 that makes you about yeah. 65 now 63 <laughs> it was 82 <laughs> when, was la- when was the last time you performed the cheer song in front of an audience of some sort. There was a fundraiser in my where I live in Westchester for something called the Bedford Playhouse, and which was a movie theater playhouse thing that had fallen into disarray. And um, Paul Schaefer, who oh, lives yeah. up here oh, from, yeah. you know, from David Letterman's band, yeah. was putting together um, a fundraiser to, to get this theater put back together. So he got Glenn Close and um, Charles Palmentieri, I'm trying to think who else was there, Robert Klein, just a a lot of people who live in the area. And a friend of mine reached out to me, and I, I said, no, nah, I don't want to, no, 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 I don't want to, I don't want to do that. So um, I don't know what happened, but they wound up just inviting me to, as a guest. And then once I got there, I got pushed against a corner and browbeaten and intimidated and shamed. <laughs> so, so I mean, it was it was really awful. So finally, so I I allowed them. You know, I said I'll, I'll do it, but I said as long as you don't announce the name of the song before I do it, uh-huh. it's a big weight to sing that song. So, so I I, I uh, at the very end of the show, they said, you know, we have somebody here who do it, and so I went and I did it. And you know, the reception was, you know, people were so nice. It was amazing. Everybody was singing along, and since nobody knows me or who I am, when I opened my mouth and start singing it, it was like, you know, this voice that they've been hearing for four decades and have no idea who it is. And all of a sudden I was sitting in front of them. So it was, it was actually turned out to be a beautiful moment. And I'm glad that they, they kind of, uh, you got a guitar nearby. We wouldn't, uh, object. I'm not going to get in the way of that, Gary. (laughs) No, but I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what I did. I'll tell you what I did. Um, I've been getting so much mail about that song since this virus hit. I mean, I'm always getting mail about that song through my website. Lovely, lovely people from all around the world telling me what the... But in the past six weeks, I just was stunned. Uh, People either finding comfort in that song or having like a wistful feeling to be able to be in their favorite bar again or something. So I... I sat, I waited till I was old and bald and gray. I sat down and I, 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 it took me two days, but I figured out how to record 
on my phone, and I recorded a, a, sh- a video called uh, Gary Portnoy Sings the Cheers Theme in Quarantine. Really? And, and I put it on YouTube, but of course... Nobody knows it's there. I do now. I think, I think two people. Well, you know, I wanted to share it with people, but I'm not the type. I wasn't going to go promote. You know, yeah. Uh, you know, yeah. so nobody knows it's there. I think two or three people have seen it in the since since I put it up there. But um, but I, I I wanted to. You know, I really. It's a little slower and sadder, I guess, befitting the time or whatever. But I wanted to. Um, I wanted to do that and put it out there. So it, it is. It's on there and. Um, I haven't watched it because I don't like looking at myself. I was so young when I did that song, and now I'm so old. As long as I lower the key about three steps, I can still sing it. Can we play it? We can play it right, right off of YouTube. We'll play it right here on, a, on the podcast, if that's okay. You can do that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I'll figure out a way oh to do it. I'm about as technically oh savvy as you are. But, that's you know, what I'm you, you know, you tell me the story about you going to the function and playing it. It reminds me of a story yeah. that I've shared here on this show when I was yeah. a kid in the 1980s, I went, and I believe it was Eddie Murphy. I went to see Eddie Murphy at the Sunrise Musical Theater in Fort Lauderdale, Florida. And yeah. there was a, an opening act that none of us knew the name, and the guy came out with a guitar, and he wasn't very, I mean, it, it, he, let's put it this way. He wasn't befitting of an Eddie Murphy audience. Let's put it that way. Yeah. And he came out with a guitar, and he sang a few songs, and people were razzing him and yelling, we want Eddie, and all that stuff. And then all of a sudden, he said, before I go, let me sing a song that I did that you might remember. And it was Welcome Back, Cotter. It was John Sebastian singing Welcome Back. And everybody went crazy for the song. It was great. As if he didn't have 10 other amazing songs. (laughs) Well, to to answer your original question, that is one of my... Well, I haven't asked it. Yes. For, I haven't asked it to you while we were recording. I asked it to you oh, before we started. Okay. People don't know what we're talking about, so that's the way okay. I want to. That's the way I want to end. We did this bracket. You're the champion. Cheers is the yes. champion. Forty or fifty yes. years later, you're still going strong. What yes. you got to give me? And I know you did some other ones. You got to give me your non-Gary Portnoy yes. faves in terms of TV theme songs. Which ones do you like? Yeah. I like Welcome Back, Cotter. Did you even have WKRP? Yes, we did. Yes, we did. Oh, you did. Good, good. Because I think that's one of the great underrated, overlooked TV themes. Um, I mean, that song song moves me when I hear it because I I, I feel for the guy singing it. And, um, you know, I loved the Mary Tyler Moore theme. I thought that was just as wrapped its arms around you, which a good song will do. From my, you know, my... Those were all written when I was, you know, already writing songs myself or starting to. So those would those are the three and I'm dating myself because I have nothing <laughs> from the I have nothing from the um nineties and uh, you well know. you well you, beat, course, you he, beat the fresh prince in the championship game, Gary. Well that you know, I am cool. <laughs> no, I'm serious, I'm cool. Uh-huh. But then there's the whole other stuff from my childhood childhood, you know, with uh, Andy Griffith show. Sure. And uh, when I was a, a young toddler, first discovering TV themes and, and wanting to write one one day. So there was that, that whole group of stuff. Oh, so I'm cool. A very, a very quick story. You don't have to. I, I assume you can edit this out. But um, a, guy, a guy that I wrote with, Erwin Levine, great songwriter, wrote a lot of hits, but they weren't respected at the time he wrote them. He wrote uh, Knock Three Times on the Ceiling If You Want Me. He wrote Tie a Yellow Ribbon Round. A hugely oh. successful songwriter yeah. who always felt, you know, unappreciated. And uh, 
you know, one day he was with his daughters in a pizza place and somebody, oh, they, oh, they put knock three times on the jukebox and everyone in the place started mocking it in front of his kids, you know. So anyway, a few years back, I'm walking in Manhattan in New York. The traffic is stopped on 57th Street, bumper to bumper. And all of a sudden I hear knock three times, blasting in the middle. Of, and I look and there's this really really, really cool black guy in a Jaguar with the top down. And he's playing knock three times. And ba- and I just looked up the sky, up to the sky. I said, Irwin, you are cool. You are cool. There's a guy in a Jaguar with dreadlocks. And he's, yeah. So, you know, <laughs> so I beat, Irwin's cool and I beat the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air. So this is a, this is a good week. <laughs> Uh, it's a good week. You're terrific, Gary. Thank you so yeah. much. I hope uh, you remain well and your family remains well. What a yes. great privilege and a great treat it was to visit with you here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you for doing this. Thank you so much. You're very easy to talk to, which is good. <laughs> Making your way in the world today takes everything you've got. sings the Cheers theme song in quarantine on YouTube, a song that might even be better today than it was 40 years ago, and the winner of the Mitch Unfiltered TV theme song tournament. So listen, Dan Black is the president of Zeke's Pizza, I think with 19 locations, I can't keep track, Tacoma, north to Bellingham, and more are coming. Dan, the footprint of Zeke's Pizza widens. Yeah, I can't keep track either. We're either at 19 or 20. We'll have to look on the website. But yeah, more coming too. Uh, Seward Park, White Center, and we're working on a deal in Spokane. So keep your fingers crossed on that. That would be a nice extension east, obviously. The last few times that you and I visited, I've been meaning to mention, with the Northwest-style pizza and beer selection getting all the spotlight at your places, I think the Levy family thinks that the chopped salad is underrated. We were at the Issaquah Highlands location the other day, my son and I, and we agreed that we could do on a visit to Zeke's a large chop split amongst the two of us. Does it do well? Yeah, the chop's one of our most popular salad, and and the Black family and the president of Zeke's both agree (laughs) with you on the salads. Um, You know, again, like you say, they don't get a lot of attention, but they're awesome. And we have people that are just, they come to Zeke's for the salads. The chop in particular, you know, substantial. It's got salami on it, a lot of different toppings. And uh, that one's definitely shareable and it's substantial on its own. And so, yeah, definitely agree. The beer lineup is always a talking point for Zeke's. We know that. I understand there's another one being added to the list. Is that correct? 
Yeah, you know, we make a lot of beers every year with a lot of different brewing partners. Any given year, we'll release 9 to 12 on a seasonal basis. They come in and out over a three-month period. Every once in a while, we release one or land on one that when we take it off the list, people rebel. <laughs> and so we had one of those last year called Lateral A IPA uh -huh. uh, with our partner in Single Hill out of Yakima. Anyway, people went crazy when that one left, and so we now have it on the permanent lineup. So you can now get cans of Lateral A anytime at Zeke's. Man. Zeke's Pizza is going strong. Don't forget to download the Zeke's Pizza app or Zeke'sPizza.com and have some great pizza and beer and salads delivered right to your door. Go to one of the 19, 20, 23, 30, 40 locations. <laughs> Zeke's Pizza's homegrown in the Northwest. Unfiltered. I got this under my belt and I'm continuing to go further and do more. You'll do this again? Absolutely. He's going to be on the card as well. So the most compelling fighter and maybe athlete of our lifetime returned to the ring over the weekend in his mid-50s, for goodness sakes. Next up on this uh, episode 119 of Mitch Unfilter, the man who collaborated with Mike Tyson on his autobiography, the colorful Larry Ratso Sloman, not to mention tons of other work. Hi, Larry. How are you? Good, good. How you doing, Mitch? We're, we're doing good. Ratso. Am I supposed yes. to call you Larry or am I supposed to call you Ratso? Which one would you like? You can call me uh, Larry or Ratso. Just don't call me late to dinner, as Kinky Friedman would say. But Ratso's fine, yes. What, what, Ratso, what is Ratso? Well, I got my name from Joan Baez on the Rolling Thunder Tour. My first book I toured with Dylan in 75, which was uh, the basis of Martin Scorsese's new documentary ah. on Netflix, ah. The Rolling Thunder Review. And, uh, you know, I was covering it for Rolling Stone and at first, and, you know, you're on the road and you're staying up late and you're driving long distances and you're taking substances and you don't <laughs> take a shower every night and uh, so I drove up to where everybody was staying and Joan Baez comes over to my car and she leans in and she grabs my greasy hair and she goes hey it's Ratso and I said oh you calling me Ratso because uh, I remind you of Dustin Hoffman from Midnight Cowboy that famous film yeah and she goes no I'm calling you Ratso so you look like Ratso Rizzo who's the character who's this low life character and uh, it kind of stuck it was a, a name that's memorable people remember it and uh, ever since that day in 1975 I've been Ratso unbelievable did you like yeah. it right away or did you did you fight well, it a little bit no i didn't fight it because he, in the end he's a very sympathetic character ratso in, in that movie and um to me it was a way to uh, kind of uh, differentiate myself I, I you know i knew a lot of the people i dylan had invited me on the tour i knew roger mcguinn 
I knew most of the band beforehand, so uh, it, you know it it wasn't a case of that. But I, it's it, it you know it was uh, it definitely was a, a memorable nickname. I've had a lot of nicknames in the past. <laughs> Slowpoke, uh, you know, things like that. And Ratso, uh, I, I liked it a lot better. I like Ratso. Tell us about Dylan before we get into Tyson. What was Dylan like to be around 24-7? Well, Dylan is, I mean, in my estimation, you know, uh, one of the greatest songwriters and, and, and writers in, in American history. I mean, uh, you know, uh, the fact that uh, he just came out with an album this year at 79 years old, that might be his best album ever, but certainly better than all the dreck that's coming out now. Um, so, you know, and he got a Nobel Prize very deservedly. I know a lot of people scoffed at him. Oh, you got a Nobel, you know, he's a songwriter, he got a Nobel Prize. Dylan is one of the great, great, uh, you know, cultural figures, and he's also a really fun guy. I mean, uh, he, you know, uh, apart from the mystique, you know, which he cultivates very well. Right. But, uh, you know, you could, uh, you could just, uh, you know, first of all, that tour was very interesting, the Rolling Thunder tour, because it was a guerrilla type tour. It wasn't a you know, previous tour. He had been out on the road with the band and it was the first time Dylan had performed live in years. And uh, they played stadiums. You know, they played hockey arenas. They went on a jet. They've played. They went to the next city. They got off the jet. They got in a limo. They went to a f exclusive hotel. This was nothing like that. The Rolling Thunder Review, everybody was uh, driving either. Dylan was driving a camper. There with two buses that followed him full of the other entertainers. Yeah. Uh, Joan Baez, Joni Mitchell, Roger McGuinn. I mean, just a, a rambling Jack Elliott. Just an incredible uh, array of musical talent. And uh, Dylan was very loose. And you, I, I would really recommend anybody who wants to get a sense of that incredible tour to uh, go to Netflix and watch the uh, Scorsese documentary uh, partly because I'm in it a lot <laughs> Ratso, Ratso you just talked about how Dylan's making an album or made an album in his late 70s uh, yes. that's a good segue because I'd like to know, as somebody who worked closely with Tyson on his autobiography, when you heard he was going to get back in the ring in his mid-50s, what did you feel at the time? And then you watched it on Saturday night. What did you think? Uh, give us your thoughts in retrospect. Um, when I was working with, and we did two books together. We did his autobiography, uh, and then we did a book about Customato. Ah, uh, who yeah, who was his you know the, his incredible trainer who who saved his life. Right. So um, when we were doing those books, one of the things that was interesting to me was that you know Mike was working out, trying to stay in shape. I wouldn't say fanatically, but you know he would ride the bike and stuff like that for an hour a, a, a day. But he had never put on gloves since he retired in the ring and it was a if you remember it was a very ignoble retirement he, he's you know basically sat in his corner and just quit he says i don't want to you know against a, a tomato can he was so far from getting back into boxing uh while we were working on the books for the last you know eight years or so so i was a little bit surprised that I heard that he was gonna, that he was in training again, and then I watched the videos, and it was unbelievable. I mean, Mike is one of those kind of 
guys. I, you know, I work with a guy named David Blaine, the great sure. magician. Sure. Blaine, I did a book with him. So Blaine is another guy who it's all or nothing. I mean, if you're, you know, like between his great stunts, Blaine put on 30 pounds. <laughs> He'd go to nightclubs all night long. And then when he had to get into that mode, that beast mode, he did it. And the same with Mike. Mike uh, just, you know, lost 100 pounds. And it, it was the fittest he's been, you know, since way back, you know, when he was, uh, you know, when, when, almost when Cuss was alive. Yeah. Once Cuss died, Mike lost his rudder completely. And then he got involved with the, the two women, <laughs> the, yeah. The, yeah. the mother and the daughter the team. Yeah. And, uh, but, uh, so I was... Uh, um, I was a little surprised, to tell you the truth. You know, Mike's really changed so much, you know, since the the arrogant days when he was, you know, what, you know, yeah. 20 years old, you're the champion of the world. Yeah. You know, how else are you going to act? Right, right. You know, and with, with Cus not there to, to reprimand. Right, right. You know, he's not a... a a well-schooled guy. I mean, he, you know, he doesn't have academic degrees, but Mike's one of the smartest guys I've ever encountered. Yeah. And uh, he's self-taught, a voracious reader, knows not only boxing history, but knows world history. It was great to see him kind of, you know, dedicating this thing to a good cause. Two weeks before the fight, Mike shut down didn't do any interviews after that he you know he just really went into that hermetic uh, customato kind of mode you know in the last two weeks but prior to that you know he had been talking not for public consumption but it, it would slip out in some of the interviews that he was going to be serious about this even though it was an exhibition right and you could tell just the way he walked into the ring you know he had that same that same intimidating quality when he came into the ring against, you know, and he was the second person in the ring. Of course, you know, Roy Jones Jr. was the first. You know, the first thing I noticed was Mike started out going to the body with some devastating punches. And that's why Roy Jones Jr. started clinching. <laughs> you know, he had enough after a couple of those body blows. He didn't want, and it was two-minute rounds, so they were basically, you know, he could clinch twice, and the referee, God bless him, but I mean, I don't know where he was. I mean, he, would, he wouldn't, he would wait for 30 seconds to, to, to you know, separate them. Yeah. So you could clinch twice, and that would be the end of a round. <laughs> I mean, if you look at his last few fights, when he was completely, basically going into the ring high on coke or high on pot, you know, he really had, you know, definitely wasn't taking care of himself, didn't give a shit, really. And, um, you know, I could see that he had, you know, the, the tradition of using somebody in his ear to tell him what Cuss would say. Larry, you know, it's interesting that you talk about the kind of the renaissance on Saturday night and how great shape he was in. You know, you go back to the end of his professional career, and I think it's safe to say that the world was worried about what he would become without boxing. What would Mike Tyson look like in middle age and beyond? And it seems like maybe he has exceeded our expectations in that regard in some in some ways well at first 
Mike let himself go completely. And, and you know, he was really uh, hooked on cocaine, uh, traveling around the world, uh, you know, at the behest of rich people. You know, he was almost like a, a performing monkey, you know. I mean, it was, yeah. it, it was sad to see him like that. And uh, one of the greatest things that happened to him is when he uh, hooked up with uh, his wife, Kiki. And Kiki really, uh, she was the first person who really got him to go on an incredible diet. You know, he was up in the 300s. And uh, you could see pictures of him, you know. But she she did a great job getting him in, you know, just normal person shape again. Huh? But when we were doing the books together, I mean, uh, he would cheat. He would, you know, he would he loved this um, frozen yogurt store and we would go all the time <laughs> he, would, he would cheat with these frozen yogurts but he was trying to do good and uh, uh, for this fight actually you know he, he said on one of the interviews before the fight that he had taken a psychedelic uh, some kind of a uh, uh, frog water, some <laughs> some weird, you know, it wasn't psilocybin, but it was something like psilocybin. Yeah. And and he had a revelation to get back in shape. Oh. And uh, <laughs> and so you know, like I said, Mike is an extremist. But, Larry, yeah. how'd you how'd you get him to trust you? When you went uh, through the book experience, the two books experiences, and and what were they like? What was it like to be around him all the time? Mike's one of the great. I I had so much fun doing those books. It wasn't easy because some of it was like pulling teeth, because uh, you know he had to uh, um, he had to become invested in the process. And uh, you know one of the reasons I got the job. Well, that was my idea. I told my agent, but then I had to audition for the job uh, because uh, his ex-wife Monica Turner and his manager at the time were. Uh, but the manager told me later, "We knew we'd use you all along." But, anyways, I went out to Hollywood. It came down to two people, and we went to a. Uh, I think of the Four Seasons. He was staying. Yeah. And I, I reminded him that when he was in jail the first time, uh, well, I mean, I think that might have been the only time, but, you know, when he was in jail for, to me, it was a completely bogus conviction on that rape charge. I was going to ask you. That was going to be my last question, but go well, ahead. Well, I, be- I, <laughs> I did a lot of research, <laughs> okay. uh, you know, both at the time, and then I did a lot of research when we started working together on the book. And we opened the, the, the book, the, the autobiography, the first book, uh, Undisputed Truth. We open it with with the, the scenes of the trial and everything because the cards were stacked against him it was indiana it was a conservative judge she had been a sex crimes prosecutor before she became judge and she wrote the rape shield law so none of the information about his uh, accuser desiree washington was allowed into the proceedings one of which was that she had had claimed that a white boy in Providence had raped her because she was afraid of her telling her father that she wasn't a virgin anymore. You know, and, and also Mike at the time was with Don King. He was very arrogant. He took the stand like a gangster, you know. So he did everything to kind of facilitate his own. <laughs> you don't think, you don't uh, think there was a sexual assault, Larry? Not at all. Okay. Not at all. In fact, you know, if you look at the, and it's not just me, if you look there are many books written about that trial by uh, former prosecutors and things like that. If you look at the situation, 
first of all, if there was anything untoward, she could have walked right out the room. But she went to the bathroom to take off her panty shield and got back in bed with him. And then he spent, you know, I don't want to get too graphic, but then he spent 20 minutes pleasuring her in a way <laughs> that doesn't involve... Uh, you know. Uh, anyway, so it 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 really to me it, it, there was no doubt that. And then she, then she wanted to stay, and he was was to had to get an early plane. So he basically kicked her out of bed and told her to go back to the limo and to drive her back to her uh, hotel. She was so pissed when she got to the limo. She's muttering to the limo driver, "The nerve of him! The nerve of him! That's not something you say if you're rich." That's something if you say if you're scorned. And then the next day, she called him. He gave her his number. And she called him where he was living in Ohio. And uh, he he blew her off. He w didn't get on the phone. Okay. So to me, it was just, you know, yeah. I mean, she was going around before the thing saying, I'm going to be the next Mrs. Mike Tyson. I'm going to be better than Robin Givens. I'm going to get more money off him. No, I don't think uh, he okay. did it at all. Why were we so drawn to him? Oh, well, by, the, by the way, Larry, uh, I want to stop because you were about to tell me about the audition and I interrupted and, and, and sent you the Desiree Washington route. Go back. I think you were going to tell the story about going out to Hollywood and, uh, and getting the job as his co-writer for the autobiography. Yeah. So um, so when we were in the room, in this hotel room, and uh, um, I was explaining to him how I did these, you know, because I, I, I work with Howard Stern on the first two books, Private Parts of Miss America. I work with David Blaine. I work with Anthony Kiedis on a great book uh, called Scar Tissue about uh, those knuckleheads, the Red Hot Chili Peppers. <laughs> so, you know, um, I had, I had done this, and I, I knew how to work with celebrities, and I told him what the process would be like. And then I said, Mike, do you remember when you were in jail, I sent you a book to read. It was Nietzsche's, Frederick Nietzsche's autobiography, The Great German Philosopher. And I, and I had written to him and said, this book really helped me out and when I was in my low points. And, you know, if you ever want to do a book, you know, let me know. And, of course, I never heard from him. But I said, Mike, do you remember getting that book I sent you? And he goes, yeah, I remember it. Nietzsche was a very interesting fellow. He died in 1900, and he starts, he starts reciting the book to me. I mean, it was like, uh, so... So, you know, so we had a connection. Oh. So, so then I was going to leave, right? Yeah. Uh, I said, uh, so that, the, you know, they said, oh, any more questions, Larry? Anything you want to <laughs> add? I said, no. So I'm about to leave the room, and I hear a voice, Ratso, and it's Mike. And I go back in the room, and he goes, why did you send me that Nietzsche book? Did you think I was Superman? <laughs> 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 so uh, so then uh, yeah I, so that, that we, I mean we we got along great I mean it was wasn't the easiest uh, gig in terms of celebrity things because like there are people like Howard Stern even Anthony Kiedis who were so disciplined in terms of like Stern would get off the radio show I'd meet him up there I'd get in a limo we'd drive out to uh, Long Island where he was living then with his first wife and, uh, you know, we would just work. Literally one time we worked for eight hours straight until I finally said to Howard, Howard, 
don't you want to eat something? I'm hungry. <laughs> and he goes, yeah, rats, yeah, sure. And and he brings down, like, you know, he's he, he, Howard was, at that time was always on these crazy diets. So he brought back a salad with, like, five uh, little nuts on it. Because you're only allowed to eat five cashews at a time. <laughs> I said, Howard, get me a f- cheeseburger. <laughs> anyway, so... Um, so, so with Mike, it wasn't like that. But one of the things I realized with Mike is I had to have my little Casio tape recorder with me anywhere we went. Because, let, let, for example, okay, here's a typical day. We'd go into the garage of his house in Vegas. That's where he kept all his pigeons <laughs> before he <laughs> built the coop. So we'd be literally sitting in the garage with the pigeon noises in the background. And and we'd talk for like an hour. And then he'd go, Ratso, could we take a break? I want to play some video games. <laughs> so then we'd go into the other room. And he'd be playing that Call of Duty, yeah. you know, killing people. <laughs> but but in the middle of it, he'll say something profound about cuss or something, and I'd have to immediately turn on the tape recorder and get it. <laughs> and, and then he'd go, you know, let's go shopping. Uh, and we'd get in the uh, Escalade, and Fareed, his assistant, would be driving. Mike would be in the front. I'd be in the back seat. And all of a sudden, he'd go into the most moving stories about cuss. So I had to be, you know, just... On your, on your toes. Yeah, exactly, yeah. and 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 it, it took a little longer, but the result was, you know, it, it just got unbelievable reviews. It was bestsellers all over the world, yeah, because I mean, he was so honest. Yeah, you know, yeah. He, you really could tell. Yeah, and 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 here's another thing. So we finished the book, and um, I was about to go to press, and Mike had. Um, gotten involved with some promoters to, to help promote some fights. So he was somewhere, up, I think it was upstate New York or something, and they were interviewing him between the fights. And Mike started talking about how he had slipped again. And he was using, co- he said, I've been clean, I've been clean. I haven't used any cocaine in four days. And I went, what? <laughs> so now we had to go back and write it afterward to the afterward of the book. Oh. Oh. I mean, you know, he's, he, he's one of the greatest, the most fun people. I swear to God, I thought for so many slap fives and hugs, I thought my ribs would be broken, you know, because he's such a, 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 a brilliant guy. And yeah. he's so, you know, he, he's really one of the, the, the true greats. I none, mean, it none, was of us, really... none of us know him that way. I mean, I think people who are driving around or listening to this podcast, wherever they are in their headsets, are listening to Ratso, and they're wondering if Ratso is talking talking about the same guy that we've been watching for 40 years it's it it just it doesn't seem like the same you're describing somebody different than our perception of Mike Tom well I mean you could see hints of it uh in in some of his uh, interviews I mean look at the interview he did with Jim Gray Teddy Atlas was uh, uh tweeting about the fight and Teddy Atlas said that Mike and Jim Gray should go on the road as a team <laughs> as a comedy team you know Mike's got a great sense of humor I loved everything about the this whole show, including the entertainment. Yeah. I thought Snoop Dogg was unbelievable. Uh, he was incredible. Yeah. And then when he was he was commenting on the fight, he, it was just beautiful. I mean, Snoop was great. I was surprised actually that uh, they didn't get Kendrick Lamar because when I was working with Mike in, in, for the, on the first book, 
Nobody knew who Kendrick was. And we'd get in the car and he'd start playing all his rap music. And I said, who is this kid? And he goes, that's Kendrick Lamar. You're going to love this guy. And, uh, you know, I, I actually... Um, could I curse on this? You already did, Ratso. I know, but I, am I allowed to? <laughs> uh, are, are, are you, are you going to let it go? I don't I know. I don't know. It's up to my producer. <laughs> okay, so I'll, I'll, I'll clean it up a little bit. Okay. But, you know, I uh, in the interim, you know, for years I've been writing lyrics uh, with people like John Cale from the Velvet Underground. And uh, in, in my dotage as an alta caca, uh, <laughs> I, I decided I wanted to do an album. Yeah. And I I did my own album Come produced on. by yeah Come produced on. by this this yeah it's it's called Stubborn Heart it's on Spotify Tidal Apple every everywhere you you can get your music these days and it got rave reviews the album so I sent a copy of the album to Mike <laughs> and uh, and I got him on the phone a week later I said so Mike you listen to my album he goes rat so to be honest I tried. I said, what do you mean you tried? He goes, <laughs> he goes, Rasso, you know me. If the, if the lyrics are mother effing this, mother effing that, I'm not interested. <laughs> <laughs> So, I mean, uh, Mike is just, I mean, he is just uh, such a great, funny guy. I mean, uh, <laughs> I you, love him to death. Uh, you are terrific. You are great. It is such a profound pleasure for me to catch up with you and for all our listeners to hear your story. I wait, hope wait a minute. Wait, 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 wait. Before we go. Yes. Could I just say one thing? Sure. Did you look at the scoring for that fight? Uh, I, they called it a draw, right? Right. I haven't seen the, the fight. I haven't even seen the fight yet. Laura. Okay. So they had three ex-champions uh, score the fight, one of which was Christy, um, what's her name? Christy Martin. Yeah. Christy Martin. Yeah. She scored it eight rounds to one for Tyson, which was the accurate thing. Then they had this, this former lightweight champion, Vinny Spazziola, or whatever his name is. Spazienza. Uh, it's Vinzienza, yeah. But it was a, he, his, his card was 8 0 for Roy Jones. <laughs> and I thought about it. I said, what, the, what fight was he watching? And then I realized he fought Roy Jones twice. Uh, and Roy Jones yeah. beat the crap out of him. <laughs> So, of course, he's going to say, oh, Roy Jones is the greatest Larry. thing ever. Ain't nothing. Oh, Ratso. It doesn't anyway. matter. It's an exhibition. It's like it's like Thunder Lips against Rocky in, in, the, in the fight. It's an exhibition. It doesn't matter. Don't worry about it so much. Okay. All right. All right. <laughs> great to visit with you. What a great pleasure it has been to have you on the show. I hope you'll come on again sometime. Thanks, Mitch. Also, my new single is out. It's available <laughs> on, on Spotify. It's a cover of Nick Cave's beautiful song, Skeleton tree listen to it thank you ratso okay take care mitch thanks you know july is an exciting month for so many reasons the world continues its surge back to normalcy restaurants in the pacific northwest returning to full capacity so here's daniel's ceo Lindsay schwartz Lindsay, what can you tell us about daniel's broiler 
Yeah, Mitch, we're super excited to be at 100% capacity finally. The summertime's always a great time of year for us, so, so it's a really exciting time. Now we just need more people to come to work now that we've got the expanded <laughs> demand. We need we need more team members. Now hold on a second. I hear you have a, a new all-star busboy at the Bellevue location named Movie Mogul Max. How's he doing? And tell us a little bit about, more importantly, the positions that you have available and how people go about applying for those positions. Yeah, you know, Max is doing a, a great job, and everybody likes him, which is surprising, <laughs> you know, based on who his dad is. But, uh, yeah, he's doing great. And, yeah, we need more hardworking people like him out there. We've got lots of opportunities at every location, whatever people want to do. There's jobs in the kitchen, front of house, servers, bartenders, bussers, front desk. So really, it's anything. And, and we've got part-time, full-time, looking for people who just want to come and uh, get some shifts during the summer or make a career with us. Anything goes right now. Danielsbroiler.com. And tell us about the old-fashioned mixer on Amazon. How's that doing? And I understand there's maybe an expansion of sorts. Yeah, it's been amazing the success that we've had with the Old Fashioned Mixer on Amazon these past few months. And uh, we're launching three more varieties, a Whiskey Sour, a Kentucky Mule, a Lavender Martini. Those should all be up on Amazon any minute if they're not already. And uh, also you'll be able to now find them on the shelves at all of the QFC stores. Okay, so great news from Daniels Broiler. And they are looking to hire for all positions, full-time and part-time positions. Go to danielsbroiler.com and click the employment tab we love daniels broiler a world-class steakhouse hey look who we've captured again on mitch unfiltered fireside home solutions owner john waterstrat off the golf course and the fishing boat to chat fireplaces and garage doors how's everyone doing john hi mitch doing great Again, as I've said before, we've been super blessed to be in this market and uh, be in the building and retail industry, and our customers continue to bless us with lots of businesses. Uh, Again, just working through delays that manufacturers might have, but we think good communication and then having some patience, uh, we can get a lot of these things installed for people. It's funny, John, you think of fireplace conversations as wintertime discussions, but the truth is... Like with us here at the house, it's now, right, that you start the planning process to change the look and feel of your home for fall and winter. Yeah, I think it's the great time. Depending on the kind of project you're doing, it takes a little while to make some selections. You know, we come out to your house like we've talked about before. You come into the showroom. So there are times that go along there. So if we can be patient again, like we were talking about, uh, we can look at stuff. We take our time to really pick out the things that we need to. We'll help guide you and make sure you make the right selection. But it does. It takes the pressure off of getting it done in the fall. Boom. When that first winter day or that fall day comes, you have that nice warm fire place in your home people who listen to unfiltered know that a few years ago you guys also jumped in the garage doors business how's it going tell us about that arm of your of your work it's doing great as well uh it's very very busy in that industry it's a little bit different most garage doors are steel so the steel index has gone up so the pricing has been a little bit more variable we just moved our puyallup location to a sumner location so we could stock more for our customers to make sure we can keep those lead times down fantastic start your shopping whether it's a new New indoor or outdoor fireplace or new garage doors. You got to start your shopping with an amazingly loyal supporter of us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Unfiltered. 
here we go with the uh, the other stuff segment, episode one hundred and fifty. We both got because we only spoke about Richard Sherman in the uh, in the opening segment. Yeah, I'm imagining we've got a lot to catch up on. Oh yeah. Do you want to start? or you want me to start? You know what just ended, don't you? Shark Week. Well, the the Open Championship is one thing that just ended. <laughs> That's you right. Go, you go with Shark Week first, and then I'll go to the Open Championship. Well, I just was. Saw a story about a South African guy who got bit by a shark, and it just reminded me that Shark Week just ended, and it's just like my nightmare. Killed or just bit? Oh no, he just got bit. Oh, that's all. That, that, they even take a him, leg. They even made him a little cake in the hospital with a little shark on it to say, "Get well." He's taking it. I can't they, believe they he's have told, a little piece taken out of the cake. Yeah, they you know, do, like a little bite out. Yeah, but yeah. this shark got part of his like thigh area and his board, and oh. just right, right through his soft his surfboard. A shark attack is just like my absolute. I mean, it's everyone's nightmare. You but know, you can't but, stop watching. I, I can't stop watching. Was it a good week, Shark Week? Did well, you have fun? From what I saw, yeah, it was yeah. great. I love Shark Week. Yeah. I actually like the guy who does the voice for it more than anything. Shark Week. See, I, I just know. love his I've voice. Oh, okay. I don't know what you I, I, I drank as much bubble tea as I've seen a shark. <laughs> okay, week. gotcha. Colin Morikawa. Colin Morikawa. Okay. Cal Berkeley is your open champion of 2021. Did you have him in your picks? Did you make picks? I did make picks. Okay. Did you have any trunk slammers? Or did you go five for five again? Uh, I haven't checked. Yeah. I'm sure I went five for five. Do you know your five? I can help you. You probably don't <laughs> I'm, know your five. I'm pulling them up right now. You don't even know speak. your five. I don't know my five. I didn't go five for five. So that okay. means I didn't go five. I don't think I went five for five in any of the four majors of our of our pools presented by Fireside Home Solutions. Well, congratulations are in order to Colin Morikawa out of Cal Berkeley. Second major. Oh, great. He's won the PGA Championship now. He's won the, the, the Open Championship, which means... He's won two of his first eight majors. Wow. So he's winning 25% of his starts <laughs> Pretty good. as majors. And by the way, there's only one guy who had ever won a PGA championship and open championship before the age of 24 until Sunday when Morikawa did it. You know that one guy, other guy is? I'm going to start with Tiger Woods. It was Tiger Woods. Yes. Congratulations are also in order to Dave Komodo. Okay. Would you like to know who Dave Komodo is? He invented the dragon. Did not. Okay. But I knew you would guess something along the yeah, lines yeah. of a dragon. Yeah, no, I don't know. Oh, did he, he win our contest? He nearly threw the Mitch unfiltered <laughs> major championship perfect game. Oh. Almost threw the perfect game. What would you consider would be the major championship pool yeah. perfect game? Well, he, his five guys would finish one through five. He had, and I, and I quote, Colin Morikawa okay. finished one. He had Jordan Spieth finish two. He had John Rahm finish third. He had Louis Oosthuizen tie for third with John Rahm. Wow. He had a perfect game. And he had Brooks Kepka who finished sixth. Oh, my gosh. He nearly <laughs> threw the perfect game. You cannot throw a better game That's crazy. than having one, two, three, four, five. He had one, two, three, four, six. Dylan Fratelli finished fifth. So Dylan Fratelli it up for stood between oh. Dave Komodo and a perfect game. Now, Dave wins $500 courtesy of Fireside Home Solutions. I'm going to go ahead and tell Dave something that I didn't, I haven't told you before. Had he gone one, two, three, four, five and thrown the perfect game, yeah. there was a $5 million bonus. <laughs> oh, man, he just missed it. Can you believe it? I kept it to myself, yeah, but I, it'll never happen. I, I, right. I, I'm disclosing it now. Yeah, yeah. He was a Dylan Fratelli <laughs> away from five million dollars wow. cash. That's a hell of a contest, yeah. man. Anyway. Woo! Hey, I have my picks real quick. Yeah. Patrick Cantlay 
Don't know. Okay, well, you're not going to... You said you could help me, I, but I yeah, think he missed can. the cut. I think he missed the cut. Oh, but, really? Yeah. Dustin Johnson. Made it and finished in the top five or Brooks seven. Brooks Kepka uh, made it. Seven. Brooks Kepka finished sixth. Rory McIlroy. Uh, did not... Did not... Did he make right. it? I don't know. And then Louis Oost... Oh, Boy, yeah. Yeah, yeah should have won. Yeah. Oh, is that right? Well, he had the lead first, second, and third round and finished fourth or whatever it was. Dang third. it. I wanted to go five for five again. Sorry. Proof to you, I'm the golf master. No, Dave Komodo. Yeah, that's impressive. That's really impressive. There you go. There's my other stuff segment on the Open Championship. American athlete Paul. Oh, Sh- one quick thing. Yes. Thank you to Fireside Home Solutions <laughs> yes. for doing the. F- they they sponsored all four of our contests, and they're sponsoring the renewal of the Beat the Boys competition coming in September to the NFL season. Uh, I hope we're ready. To, where everybody who beats us gets a prize. Yeah. I hope we're ready to do a little bit better. Well, I, I'll have you know that I had a side bet with a listener. <laughs> I know you did. I just paid it off. We had lunch like three weeks ago. I just paid off my side bet from Beat the Boys. A nice little teriyaki lunch for old Ben out there and so call me. Well, I know that you didn't have any problem finding the teriyaki place because (laughs) it comes up on your GPS. It sure does. It knows. All right. American athlete Paul Shalimo, he's an Olympic athlete. He started this rumor. I don't know if you saw this rumor going around over the weekend. What did he do? All the beds in Tokyo are made out of cardboard. Have you seen this story at all? I have. Okay, they're all made out of cardboard. I have, and I've also seen the story, but go ahead, of what they're handing out to all the Olympic athletes. Have you seen that story? Well. The cardboard beds, you're going to tell me, only support one body, so they're like sex-proof beds, right? Well, that's what he thought. Oh. That's what this this guy sort of started it. Yeah, they don't want people making the two-backed monster with every <laughs> athlete there. The two-backed monster. Although, the people who made the beds have come out and said, oh, no, no, this will hold up to 400 pounds. So I don't think that argument really holds water. And then another athlete, he uh, videotaped himself jumping up and down on the okay. bed, and it held him. So. Well, then this is the perfect— Just a rumor. Well, it's obviously just a rumor because it, pay, it, it plays perfectly into this story that apparently you haven't seen. Despite the prohibit—the pro—prohibitations? Prohibitations? Okay. Prohi- prohibitions. Prohibitions. Pro- prohibitions. Prohibitions. There you go. Hope that never comes yeah. back. no. I haven't edited that. Uh, despite <laughs> despite the prohibitions on physical contact yeah. as a health measure due to the COVID-19 pandemic, athletes will receive at the Olympic Games. Yeah, they do it every every time. Condoms. Yes, and, but you. But here you go. Here's a whole trick-or-treat bag full of them. Please don't use them. That's essentially what they're saying. Please right? don't use them and your bed won't support them. <laughs> That's right. Right? <laughs> yeah. In accordance with Japan today, Japanese condom manufacturers... Will supply, will supply competitors, you want to guess the total? How many condoms are being ha- handed out over there at the Olympic Village? To each person or total? No, just total. Oh, it's probably, I don't know, a million. 160,000. Okay. 160,000 condoms. <laughs> but don't use them. That's the message. This measure is not something new. It's been in create. It's been uh, out there since the 1988 Seoul Olympics. Yeah, yeah they've been doing it. They, they, every four years, they, they do go. it. There you go. I but you want to know. During a pandemic, eh, I keep because one person already tested positive over there, and they're quarantining the them. First, and, wasn't it the first person who was tested? Tested positive? I don't one know. Of, if one it was of the, the first, first people? Yeah. No. So, and the protests are still going on outside. Like, Japan yeah. does not want this thing to happen. But yeah. that being said, I can't wait to watch the basketball. All right. This will keep you under your desk. You ready? NASA is now tracking a large asteroid that could be up to 700 feet wide Uh-oh. and is heading toward Earth's orbit. I, already did a, I thought I did a segment on this. Well, here's another one. It's another one? It's a big asteroid. Okay. Labeled 2008 GO20 is double yeah. the size of the of Big Ben. You picture Big Ben, the big clock in sure, London. Yeah, sure. It's twice that size, so sure. it's pretty damn big. It's going to... 
It's going to safely... Uh, this is it, so good. It'll fly through the Earth's this orbit so good. safely next Saturday, July 24th. Somehow, we don't rehearse this. These are just... They fit together because you say it's so big. It's like Big Ben the clock. Yeah. And I say, how about seven foot five Chinese 14-year-old basketball player? Have you seen her? Not him. Her. Seven foot five how at 14. How would Piper like to go up against a seven... <laughs> I'm telling you. You haven't you seen the video? <laughs> no. Yes, there is a... Uh, a national player for chi- the China national team. She is. I, I'm going to do that. Should I try to do the name? Do I need to do the name? No, you don't. Zhang, Zhang Ziyu. Okay, it's Zhu, I think. Zhang Zhu. Yeah. Seven four and a half, fourteen years old. There's highlights of her. It is the funniest. Day. Watching her jump. She, she doesn't jump. But watching the, the the tip at the beginning of the game, oh my god, hysterical! See, she, that, that would be the one game. For, she went for forty two points, twenty five <laughs> rebounds, and six blocks <laughs> I'm sure. to win the China Nationals. And there's pictures of uh, a, a fourteen year old, yeah. seven foot five center, female center from China. See, that would be the one game where Piper's center is sick, and, and Piper's got to stick her the whole game. That's, the way it goes. That's how that would go. There you go. Seven foot now. I hear and that. You thought Big Ben and this asteroid was was big. <laughs> I'm telling you about an asteroid that's hurtling towards Earth that could end everything, and you're telling yes. you can't end even her. be bothered. It could end her. <laughs> that's right. All right. Speaking of videos, yes. I've seen the craziest video of a car accident that's ever existed. You it's, have. Everyone has to look this up. You won't believe what you're looking at. You have to kind of picture these this couple's driving on a, on a road, but then up above there's like a highway. So, so there's a, there's a bit of a, a height difference between the two roads, okay? Yeah. I don't know what. No one knows why this car did it. It right. it goes shooting up over. This car gets so high in the air, it bar- It almost hits the power lines. It's you can't believe from what the higher road or from the lower from road? from the higher road or I don't know. Either way, it almost hits power lines. That's how high, you you can't believe what it looks like. Somebody put a brick on the gas pedal. Jumped out of the car like for a movie or something. I'm thinking of a Smokey and the Bandit. Yeah, Dukes of Hazard. Dukes of Hazard. It's yeah, like that. Yeah, yes. You can't. Evil Knievel. But right? but this thing is like a hundred feet air. above this. Uh, it could have just know. killed. How, and, the, and we have no idea how the how the how the car ended up in the air. As you know, of we now, know? we don't know. So I, the car hits. It rolls. Yeah. Of course, it's destroyed. Yeah. And the woman who was driving walked out of the hospital that day with minor injuries. Amazing. You can't, I'm telling you, Mitch, you, you've never seen a car accident Where do I see this? this? Where can I watch this? Is it online? You can just find it anywhere, yeah. Okay. Anywhere online. All right. Yeah. Where, where am I, I hate now? talking about videos because people are like, well, I, I can't see it. But you have to go look this well, one no, up. No, we everyone. tell them to go watch it. Yeah. It's, Kevin Love? Hey, our, our prediction came true, I guess. He's out. Right? He's out. He's out. And the question still remains, how was he ever in and I like that he said he's... And they can't win a game, by the way. They stink. I keep seeing that they're losing. Oh, did they lose again? Well, I think they lost the first two or two of the first three or something like the that. The women's team lost two. Yeah, the women's team's <laughs> losing. Yeah. We well, stink anymore. Just play college ball players. Mm. College ball players. Now, if, then we have an excuse for losing. But if college players stayed till their senior year, I'd be more... Uh, I, that would okay. make more sense. They're just okay. too young. Okay. Um, what was your story again? That was it. Oh, that was the story. Yeah. That they can't. No, that Kevin loves out. But I like that he said he's not where he, he can't play at the level he wants to be yet. As if at some point he's going to get 10 years younger and he's going to. What the <laughs> hell? What is he talking about? He's not there Why yet. Why was he on the team? I don't know. Who did he have pictures of to be on the. I mean, he totally. I mean, which one? It's like that. It's like that age old kids test. Which one did when you get tested for 
kindergarten or whatever, oh, right, yeah, which yeah. one doesn't belong. <laughs> right, right. <laughs> Kevin Love doesn't belong. Yeah, that, that yeah. jumped out at me pretty yeah. early on. Yeah. All right, do you want to talk about the shooting at the, at the Nationals? I have it. I yeah. have it on here, yeah. Okay. Well, I was, I was just amazing. Just bad stuff. Somebody did people die? People died in the shooting. I, what I read was that the players were going up into the stands to grab their loved ones because no one knew where it was coming from or whether somebody was in the in yeah. the building and they were pulling out their loved ones and bringing them down to the clubhouse. I mean, it was mass hysteria yeah. at Washington Nationals ballpark. Not only loved ones, but just fans. So two two players are being heralded as, as like okay. heroes. Okay. Okay. Fernando uh, Fernando Tatis, Tatis Jr. and yeah. Manny Machado, who still owes money to our guy Michael Schwimmer. <laughs> That's for right. His contract. Yeah. So video inside the game shows those two springing out of the third base dugout and running to open a fence to the stands. Yeah. Because someone fired at least seven shots. So and they were just pulling fans into the dugout. Just oh, come I with thought me. they were pulling their family. Members. Well, okay. I'm sure they did, but they they were just. Pulling anyone in to who Scary wanted to, stuff. to take. Did somebody die outside? Uh, yeah. Cops say a total of three people were injured in the shooting, including okay. one woman who was attending the game. That was just an errant bullet. She wasn't obviously involved in it. A couple people came staggering into the ho- uh, to a hospital a little bit later, and uh, they're still searching for the suspects. But, yeah, that was a scary scene, especially fresh off that Colorado story. Are you going to tell me who Biz Markey is? Oh, I have it. Biz Markey. Biz Markey? Yeah. It's not Biz Markey? It definitely is not Biz Markey. It's Bismarcky. Yes. Okay, like tell me. K E E. You you know who this is, right? Yeah, he he had I don't one song. I'm pretty sure he only had the one. Um, Would I know the song? No. Um, it, are, it, are you going to do a podcast about him? Well, it's not going to be very long. Okay. Yeah. Um, it's called Just a Friend. I don't want to sing it, but he. Oh yeah. He say he, he's just a you, friend. You, you've got a friend. Yeah. No. <laughs> yeah, I don't think that's. I thought it was James Taylor. It's not that when one. You're no. down, <laughs> that's James Taylor. Yes. Or is that Biz Marquis? When you're down <laughs> and troubled and you need yeah. a help, isn't that Biz Marquis? It no. is not Biz Marquis. Okay. okay. No, but he. It's uh. Yeah, it was like one song. It's almost kind of like a. Or is it novelty you got song? Got a friend in me. It's not Randy Newman either. No, it is not. <laughs> so you knew this guy when you saw the yeah. news that he passed away. He was. Fun. He was. He was sick. He had diabetes. Yeah. That, yeah. He just, uh, he was, he, I think he got admitted to the hospital a year earlier uh. and it came out and then he was 57 mm. and it's not that old 57, mm. you know? So yeah. yeah, it was sad when I saw it. He, he didn't have a ton of hits, but just a friend was a really big hit. So okay. hopefully he'll go look for it and see if I, I've heard it. It's before. got piano it's in not it. on my playlist. I think you would know it. Okay. I, I, you might recognize it. Okay. It's a fun song. Okay. Yeah. Well, may he rest in peace at age 57, right? Yes. All right. I'm done except for one last one. So I'll just kind of hold this one. Oh, you have okay. One last one. Well, I have one last one. I was going to share it with you to see if you wanted to make it your one oh. last one, but it was too good. It was too good for me to give to you, <laughs> and I'll be stunned now if if you actually have this story as your one last one. I wonder if it's the same one. Well, I don't think you're going to talk about macaroni and cheese flavored ice cream. No, I'm not. Okay, that's a thing. It and is. It, it sold out within nine minutes. The entire two thousand pint inventory was wiped out within one macaroni hour. and cheese ice cream. You that are sounds correct. Vile. It sold out within. Okay. An hour. Are you going to try it? And I like, I'll try it. I love macaroni and cheese. Yeah. And I love ice cream. Oh, yeah. <laughs> so I'll give it a shot, but I can't imagine it's any good. Yeah. I, I haven't seen anyone's reaction Where, to who, it. Who made it? All right, I have the story. So Kraft is involved, of course. Uh, Kraft macaroni yeah. and cheese. Okay. And then um, an ice cream company in Brooklyn, I want to okay. say, right. came up with it. All right. Uh, Popeyes is gearing up. Do you remember the the craze over the Popeyes chicken sandwich? Yes, I know all about Popeyes and the chicken sandwich. You really remember that people were like fighting. Yes, yes. it was between it was between Popeyes chicken sandwich and 
was it Chick-fil-A's chicken sandwich? There was a big rivalry yes. of who had the better chicken sandwich. Right. And then you couldn't get the Popeye's chicken sandwich because right. they were selling out like in eight minutes every, <laughs> right. at every location. Well, right? they're they're gearing up for the release of their chicken nuggets. So be ready, everybody. <laughs> You're telling me they haven't had chicken nuggets all this time, Popeye's? I, I, Come on. I, I don't know. And can they call them chicken? I guess nuggets they can use. Sure, yeah, but yeah. But McNuggets can't they can't throw can the use. Mick. Yeah. Nope, you cannot. Okay. Yeah, they desperately want to avoid the violence that came with the chaos in 2019. So oh, they're hiring security. They're, oh. they're, they're sending bigger, you know, amounts of inventory so yeah. if you're ready to beat the shit out of someone just wait till these nuggets come out and you'll be all set there you go head on in there okay. all right go ahead what no you go oh you want me to keep going no no i, th- I figured you'd do your last story and then, oh, okay. I, and then i top it no i can do my i can do mine you have one left yeah one story with some oh yeah uh, some thoughts yeah with some thoughts okay is it possible that it's this one a nevada woman nope now, she might have been a Florida woman that changed in Nevada. Oh, well, if, if that's the rules, then I have no, a lot no, of new no, material. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. I got to put my glasses on for this. Oh, geez. I had to read this a few times. <laughs> okay. A Nevada woman broke into a dentist's office. Well, not, not the worst idea. Stole money and then proceeded to do what? See, I like to add a little stump to ban okay. to my end, end stories. Well, having just gone to the dentist yes. three days ago, yes. I can tell you that the nitrous oxide... Doesn't okay. suck. Not, not bad. Okay. Okay. A Nevada woman broke into a dentist's office, stole money, and then, it was not the, the nitrous oxide, pulled 13 teeth from an unconscious patient oh my. on two separate occasions. Oh, my God. Why? <laughs> oh my. I thought this would definitely be your one. Wow. How did I miss that? Now, deputies allege that L- Laurel Ike is her name. Oh, God who is not a dentist, by the way, broke into a dental office where she claims she had formerly worked. Ike allegedly stole $22,861 in cash and checks during the May 3rd break-in. There's cash in dentist office? Who knew? How much cash do they need? Right. (laughs) Meanwhile, the tooth extraction occurred on a different date than the break-in. Ike told de- detectives she also admitted to using anesthe- anesthetic disposed of by the office. Okay? Oh, my God. Ike is 42. She was arrested Wednesday, yada, yada, yada. Investigators did not say how they determined Ike to be a person of interest in this case, but they said she admitted to multiple people that she snuck in, found a patient that was unconscious at oh the time, and extracted 22 <laughs> teeth. Was it 22 teeth? Did I say 22 teeth? I thought you said 13, but maybe 13 it was... 13 teeth. 13 teeth. Yeah. $22,000. 13 teeth. Imagine you're that patient. You, you wake, wake up. And no, no, you... I was here for a cleaning. <laughs> <laughs> no, it goes like this. I was here for a cleaning. <laughs> That's right. And then you find out it wasn't even the dentist that took your 13 teeth. Why would... I, I guess no, it's unanswerable ask, questions. Please, yeah. don't start asking me reasonable questions. Yeah, yeah. Level-headed questions. I wanted to be a dentist, couldn't make it through school. I have her picture. If you want, if you see her, close your oh, mouth. Oh, God. Yeah, keep, no kidding. Keep your mouth closed around her because she'll take the teeth right out oh, of you. I don't have it in me to pull at someone's... Like, I could never do oh, that. Oh, my God. Right? Ugh. Can you take a, a scalpel and open someone? Yeah. It's not for everybody. You can open that. a frog in chemistry class. Did you have to do that? Yeah. Really? Biology? Was it biology? Yeah, I guess biology. I'm glad they got rid of that. Not chemistry. It would be biology. Doesn't that seem a little antiquated now? You imagine killing animals in your kids' class. Like, it seems weird. We, we, we earthworms oh, I, back in God. high school. Yeah. Oh, All yeah. right. Robert Perez. A 50- mushroom. 
Robert Perez, 53, was riding a stolen Kawasaki motorcycle when pulled over in Iowa City. Ah. Perez, cops allege, was making nonsensical actions while driving the motorcycle, which, by the way, was listed as stolen in the law enforcement database. When questioned by an Iowa City Police Department officer, Perez claimed a fellow meth user loaned him the vehicle, but Ah. unable to provide a name or address for the motorcycle's purported owner. (laughs) He did agree to take a breath test for alcohol, Uh which he... uh, Got a point zero zero on. Did not drink. He was not drinking, but he refused all field sobriety tests. Now, while at the police station and apparently still in possession of his phone, Perez was witnessed by another officer Googling how long meth stays in your system after initial consumption. <laughs> so investigators subsequently secured a search warrant to draw blood from Perez. The sample has been sent to the lab, and he was yeah. charged with theft, driving under the influence, and driving with a suspended license. Understood. Being accused of using meth and Googling how long meth stays in your system in front of a cop is just about as dumb as being accused of using meth and then Googling <laughs> how long meth stays. I couldn't think of anything dumber. I mean, Jesus, that's got to be the worst. Actually, now that I think about it, wasn't it an Iowa man who spent every penny he had to build a baseball field hoping that ghosts uh, would show up to play there? But ghosts did show up to play there. They, they did. They did. You, have you seen that movie? I couldn't remember if you've seen it. I don't think I have. Man, I probably have. Yeah. All right. Have. Nonetheless, it was pretty tough coming up with jokes about Iowa since most of them felt a little too corny. When I want to get away, <laughs> when I want to get away with secretly looking something up on the internet, I use a secret website that's totally unrecognizable uh, and forgotten about. It's called Bing. <laughs> Sorry, Microsoft friends. And finally, even though the man has been released from jail, the saddest part of this whole story to me is that he still has to live in Iowa City. Oh, my God. Ugh. And there you go. The final, the, the first final story for, for Hot Shot in six episodes that didn't involve a sex toy. I, I, I cleaned it up a little bit for everyone. I'm back. Episode 150. Hope you enjoyed it. Become a patron. Thanks to Fireside Home Solutions for being the presenter of the uh, of the contest that we've been running. And thanks to all of you who participate in those contests. Football season is a coming. Episode 150 is in the books.